Okay, let's call a match here, Brian. They lock up. No, I'm ready to run in. <laughs> He's pounding him. Slapping him on the head. <laughs> Keep your motor running. <laughs> We're gonna get some big numbers, Tony. Bigger numbers than Dow Jones. <laughs> where everything gets turned on its head. Goodbye, everybody, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is still, I think, Rory McNamara, welcoming you to our October 1999 show, looking at all things, all 2,000 of them, you might say, things related to World Championship Wrestling and the new regime. Many other shows for October for you, you might have checked out, but if not, let me remind you what they are. Two WWF programs, number one, looks at the Rebellion UK-only pay-per-view, which is quite important, actually. We'll talk about that a bit later on. And show number two looks at No Mercy and all your WWF news. Got an ECW show out looking at the TNN stuff over the last four weeks. And there's another special one. Keep your eyes peeled for that. But I have with me two venerable gentlemen who are going to help me out for the next two hours. I'm going to need it. Billy Johnson is here. Billy, how are we doing, at least at the moment? Uh, Good at the moment. Probably bad within the next two hours. And it's a true baptism of fire for the newcomer. That is Daniel Dwight. Daniel, welcome to the fold. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I may rescind that, as you say, in the next two hours. There is no going back. I just want to remind you of that. So let's waste no time on this one and get ourselves in the torture chamber. Uh, Sorry, the time machine. Back to WCW, October 99. This is, if you are a regular listener to the show, you'll be more than aware that this is where we normally break down the news. But there is, for better or worse, emphasis on one of the words there, there is only one game in town. Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, the two scriptwriters behind the rise of WWF Raw to the top of the cable television ratings, jumped ship to rival WCW. The sudden move initiated by Russo blindsided Vince McMahon when he returned from the Europe pay-per-view on Sunday night, October the 3rd. Russo, unhappy with the workload placed upon him since the debut of SmackDown two months ago, contacted WCW on Friday, October the 1st. Less than 48 hours later, he was in Atlanta inking a two-year contract to become the head booker. I should say I'm taking this news report from the PW Torch. His job title is technically creative director, which in essence, according to Russo, gives him 100% creative control over WCW storylines and TV shows. I can take a breath. Bill Bush, who replaced Eric Bischoff last month as the corporate head of WCW, is the only person Russo has to report to. When Russo told Ferrara on Saturday he was negotiating with WCW, that's Saturday the 2nd of October, Ferrara told Russo that if he was jumping, he wanted to jump with him. WCW signed them basically as a package deal. Russo informed McMahon of his decision to leave at WWF on Sunday nights via telephone. Uh, In a Torch Talk interview with Russo on Tuesday afternoon, uh, the 5th I believe, Russo said he regretted having to inform McMahon by phone but logistically, it was impossible for him to see McMahon in person before the Monday morning production meeting he was scheduled to attend. McMahon had just returned from Europe and Russo had just returned from Atlanta. The 45-minute conversation ended on a somewhat cordial note, but overall was tense and at times combative, you don't say. Russo believes McMahon is bitter about his and Ferrara's sudden departure. Russo defends the timing of his actions, citing that he had already provided complete scripts for Raw and SmackDown this week. He did not give McMahon two weeks' notice, but McMahon did not have him signed to a contract. 
Plus, given the nature of the position Russo held, McMahon assuredly wouldn't have wanted him at any WWF events once he had agreed to join WCW. I will just break off the report for a second to tell you something that came up in those Torch Talk interviews. Uh, Russo said to Vince when SmackDown started at the end of August that he didn't think he would be able to keep up with the workload, to which McMahon responded, well, with the money you earn, you can always hire a nanny. Have a bit of sympathy for Vince Russo there? I think I do. Will I hold on to it? Let's see. Back to the news report. Russo and Ferrara were writing both Raw and SmackDown. There you go. Sources in the note say they were responsible for upwards of 75 or 80% of the booking of the entire company. Uh, McMahon had gained such a trust in Russo, he had never been less involved in booking the WWF than in recent months. Uh, here's one for the other guys to talk about one month, maybe. Sometimes McMahon didn't even read Russo's script for Raw or make changes before letting it play out on live television. I'm not sure I believe that, but there you go. The reaction within WCW to the signing of the new team is excitement from most circles. While some sources indicated Russo wants to drastically downplay the over 40 crowd in World Championship Wrestling, Russo disputed that to a degree. He said he has very exciting ideas in mind to finally take advantage of Bret Hart. He said Hulk Hogan still has a place in WCW with a certain role. And yes, we'll get to that later. Russo initiated contact with WCW on Friday the 1st, letting them know he wasn't working under a contract with the Federation and was frustrated with the working conditions. Within hours, he was on a flight to Atlanta and met with Bill Bush, his boss, his boss, Harvey Schiller, and president of TBS and TNT, Brad Siegel. On the Sunday afternoon, he signed a two-year deal. Uh, dollar figures were not released, but the best getters have his salary in the 200 to 300k range, which is a raise on his WWF earnings. The primary concern about whether Russo can be as successful in WCW as he was in the Fed is that in the Federation, he had the freedom to push the envelope and use adult borderline R-rated themes. Turner TV standards are much more strict than USA Network, although Russo says he can work around the current standards and use a more sophisticated approach to getting across adult themes in primetime. His first show in full was on October the 18th, which we will get to bit by bit and the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. But for now, everybody, let it sink in. Vince Russo is here and he is in charge. It's a car to open us up on the 4th, and there is Goldberg coming out of it. Sid spots it and notes down the number 22. I always thought 23 was that number. First match with neither guy deemed worthy of an entrance, only Ray versus Malenko. This one is clearly far too good for Shane Douglas, who attempts to attack Ray with a chain. Saturn comes in to stop him, just so he can then hit Ray himself. Well, that was pointless. Dean then crawls back in for the easy win, but he doesn't take too kindly to these tactics. Disco v Psychosis, sans mask just because, is our mayhem match of the week. The acquisition of Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara to our creative team is mentioned on air, and you can talk to Vince on WCW.com internet tomorrow. You know he requested that one. Stunner Thing wins the belt and the Cruiserweight title. Sid tells somebody on the phone about Space 22, and here come the outsiders through the crowd. This is unbelievable, says Tony. After all, they've never done it before. And then Heenan, a broadcast journalist I suppose, interviews them. Hall's at quite the party down there. Nash is retired, well, chance would be a fine thing, but no, they really are getting the band back together. Sid the Adams quickly falls foul of Rick Steiner interference and then a double powerbomb. Not quickly enough, though. Goldberg v Jerry Flynn. Sorry, Peter. Bill then offers to kick Sid's ass from one end of the country to the other. Simple but effective promo there. Promo with Harlem Heat. They want those fruit booties, the outsiders, providing they can put down their hooches. 
Nope. But then the first family do their thing, and we get a very lengthy decimation of the champs. Goldberg gets in his car and, um, well, leaves without incident. Some of us have got work tomorrow. Brad Armstrong is Brad Armstrong today. He takes on Hennig and gets defeated after Hilfer from Berlin. Ray drags Billy out of the shower for his match. Tori grabs her towel before wishing him good luck. Then in quite the come down, Sid mumbles a bit about car keys again. Hoovy versus Kidman next. He or she who is tired of this pairing is tired of life. Psychosis interference as the ref is tied up by Ray allows Guerrero to get the win with a super Hoovy driver. Brett v Benoit is next, lots more on this shortly. Flair and Hogan being interviewed together just doesn't seem right, and the tossed off nature of the promo only serves to support that. I think it is very fair to wager that Hogan sucking up to Flair during it will not go unrewarded. Page v Bagwell follows, short but good for what it is. Page blocks the blockbuster, then gets the cutter for the win. Total package and Sting v Hogan and Flair to close us out. The Stinger heel turn has not taken at all. Even when he puts the boots to Flair, he gets cheered. Page tries to interfere, but Package accidentally racks him. Inverted shades of the last clash there, and then Hogan pins Sting with the usual. We end with Sid's car compacted in Bay 22. Why he? Why he? His family I have known for over well over 30 years. One of the nicest families anywhere in the world today, the Hart family. Coming to the ring now from Calgary, Alberta, Canada at 230 pounds, Brett the Hitman Hart. So, you will have heard the TV report there for the October the 4th Nitro with Vince Russo not at the helm. He or Ferrara were in attendance as they also were on the 11th, but not writing any TV. I don't want to be somebody to cast dispersions, but the fact that it was a work rate heavy edition of Nitro, is that connected? I do wonder. I do think in all fairness they were trying just to not rock the boat over the next two months before the new broom did his stuff. Which did mean we got some pretty lengthy matches and some extremely good ones. None more so than the Bret Hart-Chris Benoit match took place towards the end of the second hour. 
a tribute to Owen Hart, who, of course, we lost so sadly in May 1999 in the Kemper Arena, where this edition of Nitro was held. So I think it's only right and proper, A, given the circumstances, and B, I don't know if the next time we're going to get a chance to talk about a match in this length again. Break it down bit by bit as if it were a pay-per-view and get the boys' views on it. So this is the Brett versus Chris Benoit Owen Hart tribute match as took place on the 4th of October in the Kemper Arena. After a brief feeling out process, Brett goes for a side roll-up and gets a, gets a swift one count out of it. The crowd are hushed, but it is clearly out of respect. Hart with a side headlock and he clamps it on tight. The commentary team have dispensed with their usual banter and volume and our experience is all the better for it. Handshake and test of strength with both men getting close to winning it. Then Benoit hooks into a vicious looking arm lock of his own. Hammerlock works Brett down and Bobby accurately calls this dungeon wrestling. Brett inches up and cranks on his own and Benoit just flings him off. No quarter asked or given. Brett with a Russian leg sweep and then he connects with a knee. Leg drop by Brett and Christopher answers that with a few closed fists. Why did I call him Christopher? This one is developing nicely. Elbow off, I'm far too polite for my own good. Elbow off the top scores two. Benoit hooks the leg off an Irish whip into a close two and instantly works that into a lion tamer. Not called as such, of course. Brett gets to the ropes. Backbreaker for a two and we hit a break. Back with Benoit scoring a two off an elbow and then Brett dodging a second. His own gorgeous suplex gets his own two and his backbreaker is choice. Huge tombstone by Benoit after some exchanges of blows on the outside. Then a great Northern Lights suplex. It's really stepping up now. Brett puts on the brakes after a whip from a drop kick attempt. And there's a perfect belly to belly to back, belly to back for a two. Brett goes for a rope charge, but the crippler ducks and Brett eats cable. Suicide died by Benoit and now they're halfway up the aisle. Another commercial break and we return. When we return, we hear that Brett just wasted the man during it. We don't get to see it. Sharp exchange of roll-ups and a backslide and the crowd are getting into this more and more with each passing second. Inside cradle for two by Benoit, then a neckbreaker from Hart. Inverted atomic drop and now we go up top. Chris blocks the superplex once, but not the second time. Brett feels the sharpshooter, but Benoit hooks it into the crossface. That was superb. He then manoeuvres himself between the hitman and the ropes, so the pink and black really has the stretch to break it up. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Three snap suplexes and the headbutt is primed and hits. Delayed cover for two only. Side suplex by Benoit and it's let's go Brett time. I've missed that chance. Sick pile driver by Brett, but Benoit gets his foot on the ropes. Brett bumped by Benoit. Got it. And they both exchange for chops. German suplex times two, but not three. And they really scrapped over it. Crossface attempt again, but now Brett can stop it. Switches around into a sharpshooter. A great callback to earlier. And Benoit has to give it up. Daniel. I'm giving you something laudable to talk about, if only once. Your thoughts on this tremendous match. Not that I'm trying to lead you in any way. Tremendous. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> tremendous is the exact word. I mean, I, I watched the whole of uh, the episode of Nitro, and I was sort of amused by the constant interferences and God knows what's happening throughout the rest of the night. It was just nice to have a nice, clean, brilliant wrestling match to watch for a change, for being honest. And um, it t- t- talking back to... Um, Brett versus one, two, three kid from raw 94 sort of time. Yeah. yeah good shout. In, nice in, um, in terms of Brett using his platform to elevate someone else. And I think possibly going forward, we might see a bit more of Benoit in a, in a higher role than he has been in the past six months or so. So if anything sort of was positive to gain from this match would be that, I think. But yes, Brett, great to see Brett back in the ring, but more so highlight that Benoit is a talent that we could hopefully sort of, see more from as well 
Yeah, I should say that Brett himself actually requested this match. And there's nobody backstage, not even Kevin Nash, was in the mood to try to, as I say, rock the boat too much. They said, yeah, just go out there for half an hour and rip it up. Don't know when we're going to get that chance again. So thank you, Kevin Nash, I guess. Uh, Billy. <laughs> yeah, this was a really good match. Um, obviously, yeah, it seemed Brett was up for it. Uh, obviously, all the bad booking over the last year and everything that's been going on with his character-wise, he hasn't really had the chance to get in the ring and have a good old-fashioned wrestle, and he seemed to be really up for it here. These two uh, gave us a great match. What else do I really need to say? It was, it was, it was fine work from two very classy gentlemen who... Gave a great tribute to uh, a former great wrestler. And so say all of us. You could tell that they wanted to give us something a bit special, the kind of thing we don't really see in even the best pay-per-view matches these days. Now, when you're scrapping over hammerlocks, now that's that's a very niche style these days. It's probably not the sort of thing that's going to go over with your average Austin 316 T-shirt wearing fan. <laughs> Certainly not if they... Most have actually changed the channel from Raw. Not something I would normally recommend they do these days, but here they would have been rewarded if they flipped over here for half an hour or so. But I don't think Brett was necessarily wrestling for the audience. He wasn't even wrestling for Chris Benoit. He probably wasn't even wrestling for himself. This one had a crowd of one, and we all know who that was, and I'm sure that man up there, watching as he was, would have been very, very proud. Sod it. I'm still going to ask this, though. Billy. You yes. know, the the or, internet being as it is. The <laughs> internet. We, we are oh, trust me, we're only just beginning on that one over the next couple of hours. <laughs> I'm going to ask the question they've been asking and answering themselves. Should Benoit have gone over here? Or more importantly, again, not to lead you, but does it really matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't matter, and no, Benoit should not be going over. It's Owen Hart's tribute match. Come on, internet, calm down. <laughs> yeah, about that. Uh, Dan, just on that point. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm on the same page. No, no, and no. It doesn't doesn't matter who won really, and it, it doesn't. But also, Benoit didn't need to win, or it didn't make sense for him to win really. I think sort of Brett getting the win sort of kind of makes sense. It's his brother after all, and um and also you know, like, like I said earlier, it's it was a spotlight for Benoit. Certainly, it's one of those rare sort of instances where a loss kind of elevates you anyway. Oh, definitely, yeah. I com- I completely agree because ev- everyone was talking about this match. That's that's it. Benoit was in this match with Bret Hart. He went toe to toe with him for half an hour. And if you really want to break it down, he only lost by going for the crossface. You know, Bret had Bret had the wherewithal to work that into a sharpshooter. Benoit loses absolute zero from not winning this match. But at the same time, I suppose it is something we need to <laughs> we just need to get used to with the internet as you intimated there billy it's um it's only just begun Let's just oh, that unfortunately yes <laughs> get used to that word over the next who knows how long but this was a magnificent match if you didn't turn over from raw on october the 4th do try and get yourself a copy of this one Highly, highly recommended. Easily one of the best pure matches we've seen this year. I would be very surprised if it does not come up in our end of year awards in a few weeks' time. Uh, was it no October '99? Is going to be quite febrile ground. We had the magnificent ladder match at No Mercy two weeks after this, which I reckon would be fighting all the way. But this one is well and truly in contention. Highly recommended if you did not check it out. I will be recommending few other matches over the next hour and forty-five minutes or so. So you want to check this one out.
We open the show on the 11th with a limo, carrying a Canadian connection. Package and litter on hand for some casual racism, call immigration, etc. Bobby Heenan pays tribute to the recently passed Gorilla Monsoon, as you will hear now. Before we start with tonight's action, Brain, there's something we both, but particularly you, have to say about our longtime friend, Gorilla Monsoon. A gorilla will be sadly missed. Uh, he was one big tough man. He was a decent, honest man. And we're all going to miss him very much. And you know the pearly gates in heaven? Yeah. It's now going to be called the gorilla position. Goodbye, my friend. Very well said, Bobby. The brain heat in here is going to be sorely missed. Milenko wants an explanation from Saturn for his actions last week after seven days of playing phone tag. Saturn says it was nothing to worry about and the revolution is still united. Cue ominous music. Perry now takes on Ray. Mysterio doesn't accept Saturn's immediate apology so the match is on and it's a lengthy and good one. We can't have that. Including a spot I have never seen before where they both go for drop kicks and end up scissoring one another. Douglas and his elbow pad of doom wobble down to ringside but Malenko stops him. With that going on, Kidman slides in the ring and helps Ray up and that causes a DQ. Kidman wants a tag match later. Disco Inferno beats Kaz Hayashi with what is still being called the last dance. The returning Meng, as endorsed by Flair and Anderson earlier for some reason, versus Conan, Death Grip Fever. Brad Armstrong and Berlin get into it backstage. I'm sure nobody will be foolish enough to want to drag that one out to the pay-per-view. Heenan again interviews Hall and Nash after they come through the crowd. They are still retired, including Hall being sore from carrying the company on his back. Ooh. But after Nash wishes Dusty a happy birthday, he says he will be back to wrestle in July 2012. Start counting. Goldberg is on his way to the ring, but Sid accosts him backstage first. Neither guy is afraid of the other. Bill then beats Horace, but it isn't the squash it should be. Here's somebody who might have something to do with that, Hulk Hogan. In conversation with Gene, he tells us the internet makes him sick to his stomach. You changed your tune. When he finishes in this business, the red and the yellow will still be running wild. Sadly, he doesn't give us a date. He signs off by warning the boys in the back. Bro. Quick Nitro Girls vid, one for the dads there. Kimberly is here to tell us Southern women are awesome, and as such we hear from Amy and Tiffany. Amy and Tiffany! Gene gets the interview here too. Give me a break. David catches Tori wiping lipstick off Kidman's face. Lipstick. She tells him to go and talk to his dad or something. Stevie Ray and Nobbs is a rare old clatterfest. Jimmy Hart with a bin shot puts Stevie down. Douglas calls out the revolution. He blames Malenko for the appalling finish in our first match deflection there, and Ben is not happy with the crippler buddying up to the hitman. He has known the Hart family for 15 years. Furthermore, if there was no crippler there would be no revolution. Malenko then says he will get the revolve back where they should be. Random match generator hasn't quite been swept off the booker's desk yet. Here comes Leparka v Brad Armstrong. Berlin is back and Ishaba Kaina Arnold. He hits the awful neckbreaker on Brad but he rolls on top of Leparka in doing so and that is good for the three. That is Thorkbar. David is still after Tori, but now Henning is on hand to make him buzz off. Norm is getting jiggy, and he is now against Berlin. He busts out the big wiggle, but Alex Wright is no fan of dancing mid-match, of course. The awful neckbreaker wins it. Oakland calls out Nature Boy for a natter. He has something to say to Mr. Perfect, and Vince McMahon now probably has something to say to him. He promises Henning he will beat him at the pay-per-view, and suggests Kimberly wants a shot at the 14-14-14 time champ. Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn versus Kidman Rey Mysterio. Milenko appears to be subtly working for the latter team here. After some tops not after some top notch action, much better than I can ever say it, Douglas throws Saturn the chain and he biffs Kidman with it for the win. When Dean sees the replay, he tears off the shirt and says, I my own revolution now. 
Follow that, Sid versus Van Hammer. Sid needs Rick's help to beat him. After a vignette for whatever Dustin Rose is doing here, we're getting Henningley Flair now. To his credit, Tony brings up 4 Brawl 97. The match is long, but that's all it is really. David stops Virgil, or Curly Bill, from interfering, and then Rick gets the Flair pin win. Package Steiner versus Benoit Brett takes us home. We only get 4 minutes before Sid is in for the DQ. Goldberg prevents any more danger, then Sid taunts him that he can't touch him before Havoc, but Goldberg just takes him down anyway. Gentlemen, we have arrived. It is the 18th of October, 1999. It is the debut of Vince Russo. Oh, and Ed Ferrara. The first Nitro they were in complete charge of, and it must be said, if you hadn't told me, I still would have known. <laughs> Knowing Vince Russo, as we do for the last two and a half years, to say his mucky paw prints were all over this one would be the understatement of the year. We're going to take you through that Nitro bit by bit. Billy, before we start, when the news <sighs> broke... Yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get it out of the way. Soon, but we can all go home. Billy, when the news broke at the start of this month that Vince Russo had made the jump from WWF to WCW, what were your thoughts? Did you think it'd be a good move for him, a good move for WCW, heaven forfend, a good new, good move for WWF? Hints, hints. What first came to mind when you heard the news? Before you had seen anything, try not to let that colour your judgment, if possible. I was like, how did Vic Venom get a job? Wasn't he just like uh, on Livewire? That's the boy. He wasn't a writer or anything. No, <laughs> in all seriousness, obviously, you know, reading uh, a little bit on the internet, um, as one does this day, this day and age, I, I knew who Vince Russo was, and I was optimistic. I was like, okay, you know, WCW has been a bit in the doldrums over the last, let's say, year or so now. It's and they needed to change and do something a little bit different. And I thought, you know what? What's worked for the WWF has worked really well. They've, you know, gained the lead on WCW, obviously in the Monday Night Wars. So why not have a little bit that was what's worked from the WWF come over to WCW and give it a go? The optimism was high. Unfortunately, after this first show, I was dashed just a little bit, but I'm still, even after this month, I'm still sort of willing to give Russo time, let his crazy ideas play out, and maybe he'll stabilise the company going forward, and there'll be some success for WCW, because it would be nice to see them have a little bit of success. Now who's being overly polite? <laughs> Dan, what do you reckon? Or what did you reckon? Uh, yeah, so um, kind of before the news broke, I wasn't 100% aware of like how much Vince Russo did at, in the WWF. I knew he was writing, but I didn't know, he, like, as you point out, the, the, the level and his involvement. So to say that taken away from WWF, quite interesting. But then if he's now the man in charge of WCW, I, yeah, as mentioned before, it's only a positive for WWE at the moment. It seems they're they're struggling. They they need some injection of creativity. Why not go to the guy who's been making WWF sort of shine for the past eighteen months or so? And fair play to to Russo and Ferrara for getting the money they they got as well. Because I mean that's those wages you mentioned earlier in the, in the news. They're not sort of writer wages. They're they're the sort of the salaries that some wrestlers are probably receiving if not more than so hopefully for for his sake and for WWE's sake 
that pays off because it's a bit, a bit of a gamble, but it's one that, that I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out, being honest. I uh, should, should say about um, how quickly the move came about. Vince McMahon was completely blindsided by this one. As soon as he got back from the Rebellion pay-per-view, Vince Russo apparently called him up, which means I need to correct something I said in part one of these shows, which we recorded right back at the start of October. I was working from the assumption that the Stephanie McMahon concussion angle, <laughs> more more in part one and part two, WWF shows about that one, uh, was actually written by the Federation in order to buy themselves a bit more time. So they could take Stephanie out of action for a couple of weeks before they worked out where they were going with all the test Stephanie stuff while their head writer moved on. Uh, that's not true. Vince Russo had not left in Vince McMahon's head by then. So whether Rebellion was written by Vinnie Rue himself and he intentionally wrote a cliffhanger that he had no intention of sealing up, then who knows? I'm not again. I'm, that's just conjecture on my part. But I just want to put a correction out there for the record. I do give World Championship Wrestling credit for realizing that they needed somebody bona fide at the helm of the creative team because pretty much every month in the news we've talked about how things have changed first it's kevin nash then it's kevin nash with dusty rose then it's dusty rose with kevin sullivan and sort of with mike graham and hogan's a permanent in the corner then it comes back to nash possibly with kevin sullivan with dusty then as a some sort of second or third. So it, I can't even get a handle on it now. And I read these things and bring them to you every single month. So they've got some stability, at least for the moment. They've realized they need to have somebody they can come back to week after week. I mean, Kevin Nash never, ever missed a popular with the book. Did not care about what we call the mid card, let alone below at all. And the one thing that Russo's entrance, I want to put this on right. This is important. The one thing that Russo's entrance did do, he immediately backstage in live and the likes of Billy Kidman, Conan, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. And that's even before they knew what they were going to be doing. They seem to know that he worked from the proviso that everybody has a role, no matter your position on the card. I remember a discussion we had back on the WWF program in July of 1998 when it was Adam who put forward the view and got himself a bit of a program at the time that he didn't think that every character on screen needed to have a role. That you can just effectively be a faceless jobber, lower mid-carder. I understand that. Vince Russo completely disagrees. And everybody on the show we're about to talk about and the pay-per-view had something to do. The question is whether what they did or not is what we really want to see in professional wrestling. But I, too, went in with an open mind. I did find it interesting that he was credited for 75 to 80, was 80, 85 percent of everything that was shown on WWF TV. Uh, and it sort of gave the lie to the fact that nothing goes on TV without Vince McMahon say so in the Federation. That news report I read out earlier, I'm still a bit sceptical of it, suggested that Vince would often just let Russo stuff go in there without even reading it. <laughs> I'm safe to say this, what we are about to talk about on Nitro did definitely go out without any secondary checks. But we're going to break it down, the bad and the good. Let's just see how we go over the next half an hour or so. So the 18th of October, 1999, Monday Nitro. We open with a limo coming to the arena. So much for new ideas. And Sid is in a suit for the first time in many a year. Shaving cream just out of shots. His first show is in Philadelphia, and you know he planned that one. And our first match, yes, you heard me, match, promises to be a good one between Hoovy and Evan Courageous. That Russo's a changed man, I tell you. 
Oh, no, maybe not. Because here is Bret Hart, of all people, to just casually walk into the ring to stop all that pesky wrestling nonsense. Because Bret Hart would break up a wrestling match, wouldn't he? <laughs> Bret bones on about Hogan again, and here comes Sting on the ramp with a mic. Ah, it's all coming back to me now. Hart talks about his legacy, but Sting has his legacy right here. And now he will give Brett what he came to this company for, a shot at the world title tonight. Uh, a note, Hoovy and Courageous have stayed in the ring throughout all of this, looking like a couple of spare ones at a wedding. <laughs> Tony reminds us that this is Russo and Ferrara's first night. All right, it's OK. It happens. Sid has been advised by his legal team to make no further comments, and now Goldberg is at the arena. Oh, and here is Sid again, reminding us that Bill was not allowed to touch him. Holy continuity, Batman. Vampiro versus Disco is next, and Lash the Brew is on guest commentary because we needed that. Disco wins extremely quickly so we can get to the beatdown and the making of a statement. He attacks Inferno and takes his belt. Goldberg talks backstage to Larry Zabisco. Dear listener, I will let you assess who is being promoted or demoted there. In six days, he will beat Sid with a spear and jackhammer, blah, blah, blah. One thing we are still doing is Dustin Rose being at a kid's window. And on the seventh night, we begin. <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. And another interview, of course. Now it's Tanae talking to Medusa. She suggests she is not happy being put into an evening gown match tonight. And I can't say I blame her. Tonight, there might not even be a match. Well, we get more Nitro Girl stuff. Get Chiquita from Chicago and Stacy from Baltimore, but they are interrupted by Buff, who I thought was a babyface last we saw him. He name drops the internet. There you go again, Billy. And how on there he is seen as the chosen one because it is all in the stroke, brother. Ugh, that's the kind of Russo I was hoping we weren't going to get. We'll talk about that again shortly. And now Larry talks to Mona, who is Medusa's opponent tonight. I should say that's Mona, not, not Larry. But with Russo and Ferrara in charge, <laughs> she is ready. Then Kimberly walks backstage calling after David Flair. Then Sid talks to his attorneys again. Then Goldberg tapes up his hands. Oh, let things breathe, everybody. Tag team title match, Harlem Heat versus Rey Mysterio Jr. and Kidman. Sign in the crowd. Nobody here gives a damn what The Rock says. Huh. You give a damn about not getting sued, though, don't you, mister? No more than 30 seconds into the match, Eddie, Kidman and Tori come down to observe. And they join in on commentary as well. And then, I'm typing those words a lot today, the first family is shown watching on a monitor. Brian Nobbs being able to operate a TV set is yet another shocking swerve today. Today is so horribly shoot-tastic that hearing Kidman call Booker a great worker almost goes right over my head. Eddie saying they'll have the WCW Tag Team Champions around their belts, doesn't though? Match threatens to get half decent and then Ray bolts onto Stevie. Conan holds for legs and we have new Tag Team Champions. Kim finds David. She's never had a woman like him before and DDP is out of town and they have a room at the Marriott. Convenient. Filthy animals celebrate backstage, and for some reason the Nitro Gold contender Stacy is there. It's never explained why. First family still wants a shot, then Meng squashes their own Hugh Morris as the outsiders make an appearance. Sid and legal team once more. Sid has in his hands a piece of paper. His acceptance speech. I want you to look 
As you've heard, it was the contract for their Havoc match. Bill Pace, with both a powerbomb and the lawyer he gave a spear to, getting back up after about five seconds. After the ignominy of that no-sell, Goldberg gets into it with the outsiders in the front row, and they, lucky boys, get turfed. Brett promises Hogan a shot at the title after he wins it tonight. Sting jumps in, and we have a pull apart. That was actually quite effective. Nash tries to get back into the building as he left his cold and flu medicine in there. Is that what they're calling it now? As Goldberg looks for Sid. Uh, Berlin versus Rick Steiner. Rick, has appeared, Rick just appears to be a face again. Okay. Brad Armstrong gets involved. You know, we're still doing that. And as Rick tries to restrain him, the bodyguard swings a chair and hits Steiner. Berlin hops in for the pin. So now Steiner does a number on Armstrong. What? The outsiders sneak back into the building, powered by cough syrup in the case of Nash. And in the case of Hall, let's not even bother speculating. <laughs> Kimberly has made it to the Marriott, and how? A flare then pops out of the bathroom, but it happens to be Rick, so I guess that's yet another <laughs> shoot tonight. Goldberg decks the posse, and this appears to spook Lex Luger. Ah, oh, sorry, total package. Nah, fuck it, his name's Lex Luger. David is now here for a match against that wrecker, Kidman. Tory provides a distraction, and the shooting star press wraps it up. The outsiders offer Gene some of their cough syrup. Fuck it. And Rick Flair is back at the arena. Hmm, that was quick. 60 minute man 
Okay then, Mona in evening gown versus Medusa not in evening gown for the evening gown match. Some wrestling moves are exchanged, careful now, and the ref gets bumped. Chair shot, but Mona gets up and takes off Medusa's leotardy thing. I suppose that counts. She didn't want this match anyway, so everybody behind here can kiss her ass. Dan, good to bring you in on this one. Just oh, yeah, last, that was... Just over the last few months, there have been the rumblings of some kind of real women's division with, you know, real proper matches and that sort of thing in WCW. But here we get, and not for the last time today, the very worst of Russo. We get them in an evening gal match, because of course we do, and we get the situation where somebody doesn't want to do what one of the writers wants them to do. This is where it starts to unravel, not just the evening gal. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, as you say, there was the, the fingerprints of, of Russo all over this, but this was a big sort of exclamation mark for me just yes the evening introduction of evening gown matches like they like they said the first one ever in in uh, wcw but we've seen a few in wwf by now so yeah we can definitely see this as a wf type match if you want to call it a match but um weirdly the uh the match itself actually seemed quite good really mona medusa both strong workers so seemed okay but yeah to book them in a Basically, a comedy kind of gimmick match was a bit, a bit useless, unfortunately. Would have been nice to see an actual match, maybe. Hopefully, that can come about at some point. But I don't know. I'm not holding much hope. No, me neither. And his, his joy of women in various types of gimmicks. Precisely, Billy. It's a bit disappointing that you're putting uh, these two in this position, you know. Uh, between great workers and it's... A shame, but obviously you're not going to get the WCW women's division of before. It's, it's just not going to be like that. Obviously, Russo has decided that this is what he wants his women's division to be. To be, And unfortunately for everyone that tunes into WCW, for watching something a little bit different, is now going to have to get the same thing that they get on the other channels. So it's sort of a, a downgrade. And it's like... Why not bring Akira Hokuto back, for Christ's sake? Come on, Rory, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gave you that one, didn't I? <laughs> you did. <laughs> on, this, on this one, I definitely agree with you. Even I called Akira Hokuto the master on one of these shows a while back, so I'd be more than happy to see that, Billy. It's taken you 29 minutes, and there's one of your references to that chapter as well. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I would not hold your breath on that one here, however. I know. <laughs> given what we've heard about... Um, Vince Russo's dislike for not only a lot of pro wrestling, but some um, Japanese pro wrestling in particular mm. and Mexican wrestling and any other pro wrestling you want to mention. Anyway, more on that later. Yeah, uh, this was very disappointing, but at least you can say we were prepared for it. Uh, WCW world title Sting versus Bret Hart. This one gets a fair amount of time. And what do you know? It's really pretty good wrestling. I'm going to presume that Russo was going through his own medicine cabinet at the time. But he eventually found the junior disprint as Liz ties up the ref as Luger then whacks Brett in the shin with the bat and Sting gets the win with the scorpion. David tells Rick that Kidman beat him up and where is Tori? The outsiders are pilfered Biano 4 and Biano 5's masks because that is all those Mexican wrestlers are good for, isn't it? I think their masks stolen. Oh, speaking of which, La Parker is in a match which we now need to bring to you, dear listener, before we attempt to make any sort of sense of it. Comes in, Park, oh, sends him to the top turnbuckle pad. Buff hit, obviously very high. Drop to Sends the parking out. And now Buff. Man, with a vengeance. 
almost mocking himself. He is mocking it. And then he, he told LaParker, come over and kick me in the head. And LaParker does. And LaParker covers him. And he's off. What? LaParker beat him. And the fans back up. I don't understand. Hey Russo, did I do a good job for you? You know what? Who else can beat me? Won't you come down and beat me, big man? So, what did you hear there? Well, I think you heard this. A match booked between La Parker and Buff Bagwell. Bagwell turned up for that one very, very half-heartedly. He went through the motions, mocked his own pose, etc., etc. And then after about two or three minutes, he invited La Parker just to kick him in the back of the head. La Parker acceded to that, pinned him one, two, three. Bagwell got up immediately after that, no selling all the way, walked over to the booth and, as you heard, said those words. I did not make them up. Hey, Russo, did I do a good job for you? I repeat, because I'm not going to suffer in silence alone when you also hear this again for the third time already. Hey, Russo, did I do a good job for you? After suggesting there might be other people backstage who could beat him very handily, he heads into the ring where he is attacked by Jeff Jarrett, who whacks him over the head with not a household appliance. Yes, I'm still bitter about that one. And then says how he could show up in WCW just the day after a <coughs> WF pay-per-view. How indeed. We will talk about Jarrett in a second because we have to, and he follows us fucking everywhere on these shows. The <laughs> All the Buff Bagwell stuff. This stems from an interview given online by Rusa and Ferrara at the beginning of the month where they said they quite liked Buff Bagwell's work. How many people, average viewers, WCW on a Monday night would have been aware of that, much less how many cared? And here they are having a situation where Bagwell, because he can and because they love him anyway, can go into a situation where he's going to mock a match Take the job because that's what Russo wants him to do. And then he will be furnished and rewarded accordingly. That is not the pro wrestling I buy into week after week. No, it isn't, Rory. So it's like, come on, guys. Like 95% of your audience probably don't have a clue what is going on. Because 
95% of them are not on the internet, day after day reading wrestling news websites or on the Torch forums or even on the board on F4W because they don't do that. They have a life. It's the other five percent of us who don't. Yes, yes, it's the other. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yes, the other five. Hi, everybody listening to this program. By yeah. the way, you don't have. <laughs> I just buried the entire audience. I do carry, carry on. Carry on. <laughs> um, where, where do I go from there? Um, <laughs> no, so, it's... using the word, dropping the word job on television like that yeah. after intentionally taking a loss. I mean, come on. Yeah, there's no, there's no need for it because just your average Joe is not going to understand because he doesn't understand wrestling lingo. He hasn't been smartened up to wrestling lingo because, again, he isn't on the Internet 24-7 reading about wrestling news. So he's not going to have a clue. It probably went over, like I said, 95% of everybody's head. They had no idea what was going on. So how is this going to draw any money? How is this going to make Bath Bagwell over anymore? How is he going to make Jeff Jarrett over anymore? I don't know. I'm getting angry already. I need to calm down. <laughs> you need to, but Dan, uh, shed any light on this if you can. Um, well, I, I think the, sort of the one positive in it is it kind of did make Jeff Jarrett a bit sort of over in a way because the crowd was sort of happy to see someone who cared in a weird mm-hmm. way after seeing Buff Bagwell not bother and then the Parker who people kind of like in a sort of a comedy kind of way in it win but the, again the match kind of meant nothing but see then Jarrett come out and almost save the segment if you will with a with a uh, guitar shot kind of got him a bit over I think I really sort of seeing and then because he's a fresh fresh face again from the from the WWF turning up the day up a day after he's just had a match there he's kind of like oh someone someone new this is this might be part of something special like how many other people are going to jump in the future so people might be asking those questions. So yeah, I think I think if anything, Jarek got something out of that segment. If if not, Buff Bagwell and La Parker certainly. And then what do you think about hearing words like "job" being mentioned like that oh, on television? Yeah, isn't it isn't it fun that we know the inside words? Great. <laughs> Let, let's let's <laughs> yeah, work shoot shoot work. Who knows? Who cares? But I mean, yeah, that that's just I don't know. It just smacks a bit of amateurism, isn't it? Really trying to. Sort of get one over on the crowd, who are the ones paying the bills ultimately. Mm-hmm. Like why, yeah, why would you sort of try to either make everyone aware of the of sort of kayfabe and then kind of spoil the whole suspension of disbelief part, or then do you, these are sort of things that I think just it's just not needed. I mean, in for an, for an interview maybe you might drop some things like that, but not as part of the TV sort of data week to week, you, you wouldn't really sort of see them. I don't see the need for it. I'm not sure what it gains. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it, isn't it? What's, what, what do you gain from this? I don't think you gain anything. It's, this is Vince Russo untamed at this point. There's nobody in the back. There's no old school guy like Pat Patterson or Gerald Briscoe or Sergeant Slaughter or even someone like Jim Ross to tell him, no, we don't need to go that far on TV. The odd intimation here and there, perhaps, but outright having somebody intentionally losing a match, telling us so and dropping the J word on TV. Yeah, that's Billy, you're absolutely right when you say 95 percent of the audience wouldn't have had a clue what was going on. You are entirely correct on that. 
But also the 5% who do, they're not impressed by this. They know what pro wrestling is. They don't need to be reward, reminded of, <laughs> certainly not rewarded, but they don't need to be reminded of words like job or what that means. Uh, if you're watching Nitro on a Monday night and you're getting Bagwell versus La Parker, you just want to see a good match between the two of them. It is as simple as that. You don't want to have to spend your time afterwards thinking, oh, they're doing a thing where Bagwell can lose matches on purpose to impress the new writers so he can be given a main event push no no it's just and you're just spending the time trying to work that out in your head and in the end with this nobody gets over nobody gets over and that's for jeff freaking fucking jarrett again (laughs) are there no safe havens these days Uh, when i appointed myself head of wc head of wcw shows imagine that head of wcw head of wcw presenting for these podcasts nearly two years ago now i thought who knows what i was going to be getting but I thought safety from Jeff Jarrett would be one of those things. How wrong I was. He turns up just the next day after No Mercy, $300,000 richer, proclaiming himself to be the chosen one. Again, another reference to the fact that he is Russo's boy. We get it, but we still don't care about it. You're not going to draw any more money because of it. And now he's going to be getting another big run because Russo likes him. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. And this show's still not done. The Outsiders are still looking for Signor Goldberg. Uh, I've got ages to go fucking yet. Um, Outsiders still looking for Signor Goldberg, as they call him. Nash pukes up. Hall doesn't. Silence. Quite right. Now let's have a three-way elimination match. A three-way elimination match with Eddie, Charvo, and Saturn. They don't get any entrances, let alone build. Uh, Douglas is on headset, and as Heatwave 98 proved, I think that's his calling these days. Uh, before people come down to ringside, we are at least treated to a super tower of doom spot. Well, Charvo took that one right on his head. Uh, said people are the filthy animals, and they help Saturn dive into a chair. Yep. Eddie eliminates him with the frog splash, but then Charvo wins after a tornado DDT. Hmm, a hardcore match. I wonder why that's come back. And it's Horace, and it's, you'll like this one, Billy. It's Horace versus Norman Smiley, making Nick Cage and Wifebeater proud, no doubt. <laughs> they, play, they play up that Norman is afraid of this sort of thing. So, of course, he's the one who wins after Horace spears a table. Uh, Flair is out, and after he burbles for a while about the animals and then challenges him, they meet the offer very quickly, and they all beat him up. David comes to help and gets beaten up too, and then they outright mug the nature boy. Luger calls on Liz but gets no answer. It turns out she is out cold with a broken non-household appliance by the side of her head. Yes, I'm still bitter. Lex now has to take on Goldberg. Weak ref bump, and the outsiders have finally made it back, solely to collapse at the top of a ramp. Sting, though, is here and nails Sting with the bat. Brett then hobbles out and gets some payback on Sting, including breaking the bat against the post. The hitman puts the sharpshooter on, but Luger stops that. Brett gets racked, but he gets speared and jackhammered and beaten. Whew. And breathe, if possible. Dan, to wrap up that edition of Nitro, the one positive I will attribute to it, it was never dull. Okay, Something was (laughs) always happening. But that was its main negative. Something was always happening. There was no room for us just to sit back for a few seconds and take it in. Yeah, it was just jump from segment to match to segment to back to back segments. Then another sort of quick match here and there. But um, yeah, just that recap just kind of exhausted me just listening to it sometimes. No, no, that's not sort of comment on yourself. That's just comment on, on how much this fit in and an albeit long show but yeah i don't think we need that much 
for for weekly TV. We need sort of stuff to build towards the pay per view, and, and yes, matches in in first in between certainly, but not all of that surely. I mean, you could have put you could have spread that over Nitro and possibly Thunder for that week, but then yeah, just ex- exhausting. It was it was tiring to watch if I'm being honest. I was just waiting for it to sort of end in a weird way, just going well. I know they've announced another Goldberg versus Luger match, but is that next? No, here comes another three or four segments. Okay, when's it going to be then? And then finally gets there, and then it just turns out to be, well, more interferences and more nonsense that sort of... And that's, this is not a, a Russo thing. This is just, I think, WCW in general, I think. It's just reliant on nothing to ever clean, really. I, th- I think exhausting is an excellent word to describe this. I was spent by the end of this, but not in a... <sighs> It wasn't an adrenaline rush type of come down, was it? Like you get yeah, a good exactly. I was just, I was just, I was just knackered, you know. It's yeah, it's like just, just, just running uphill. You know, you, yeah, just exactly. you're, you're, you're glad you got to the top, but was it really worth everything getting there? You know. Well, it's just the thought that next week, on the next week's show, do we have to run up and get another hill again? Yeah, that, that, that show had, had, had treacle on it <laughs> just, I tell you what just yes. wait everybody I won't be doing a live read just wait till you hear the, my recording of the 25th of October 99 Nitro how I'm here to tell the tale afterwards is quite a story um, yeah it's just trying to write this live as it was going I don't know how I'm, I I probably scrimped on 50% of the details here and that should tell you everything now, at the end of at the end of Helter Skelter on the White Album, you know, Ringo shouts out, I've got blisters on my fingers. That was me at the end of this particular one. <laughs> Billy, sum it up if you can. Oh, I can't really sum it up. I, I think Dan pretty much hit all those good points there. It's like, you know, it was a head spinning, uh, nauseous experience. There's just so much happening. Um, if I is any, give any advice so the powers that be, Russo and Ferrara, and if they are listening, just slow things down a little bit. We don't need so much, okay? Just give us a chance to process what's happening. Now, there are germs of decent storylines here. I'm not going to say that everything they threw against the wall was terrible. That's not true. And seeing people like the filthy animals getting a run, that's good. Now, I find the whole filthy animals, we'll talk about it more in a second, the whole filthy animals revolution thing, at least at this point, I was finding it fairly intriguing. I don't like where it went, but at least here, it's something. But give us a chance to sit back at the end of the show and think about it for a couple of minutes. But if you're just switching from that straight to another backstage segment and another one and another one, and none of it is explained. As a viewer, you feel outright contempt for yourself, and especially with pro wrestling, you know, let's face it, you wear a sackcloth with a bit of contempt and self-loathing anyway, don't you? You don't need to be reminded for three hours every Monday, you know. We 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 know the contradictions that have come with being a pro wrestling fan. We don't want to be reminded of it. And judging by what we see on the pay-per-view that we'll review shortly and the Nitro after this, I don't think he's getting a message. But this is the big problem. He's got no one to answer to now. The only person backstage that Vince Russo answers to is Bill Bush, who is not a wrestling guy. Bill Bush himself is actually very popular with the wrestlers. He probably doesn't want to upset them. He rewards them for good matches, much in the way that Kip Fry used to do, for example. When I say reward, I mean reward rubs fingers together, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's, that's a boat you don't want to rock. There's no Eric Bischoff to answer to. And let's face it, is Ted Turner really bothered? (laughs) 
<laughs> he's got all his AOL stuff to worry about these days. But yes, it was um, it was the beginning. I'll give it that. It's, um, just wait and see where it goes, including the pay-per-view that we will break down for you right now. Billy, give us the results of the first Vince Russo penned pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc 1999. So Disco Inferno defeated Lash Rude to retain the Cruiserweight title. Harlem Heat defeated the Filthy Animals and the First Family in a street fight for the vacant WCW World Tag Team titles. Eddie Guerrero defeated Perry Saturn by disqualification. Brad Armstrong defeated Berlin. Rick Steiner defeated Chris Benoit for the WCW World Television Championship. Total Package beat Bret Hart by submission. Sting defeated Hulk Hogan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Goldberg defeated Sid Vicious by TKO TKO for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. DDP defeated Ric Flair in a strap match. And finally, Goldberg defeated Sting for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Say what? (laughs) (laughs) Dan, once again, you've got to try and sum all this up. Uh, Your opening thoughts on Halloween Havoc 99. Oh, well, let's open with the opening promo. No sort of Halloween sort of theme to the promo. Just a weird sort of, I don't know, army kind of strategy type game sort of thing with a reticle focusing on Goldberg and, and Sid. Didn't quite get that. But then luckily, at least we still had the giant inflatable um pumpkin and such um at the arena so at least they didn't completely scrap the halloween theme i'm gonna make this clear i apologize for the bad language that's probably gonna come out of my mouth over the next hour or so because this pay-per-view in my opinion it fucking sucked (laughs) (laughs) if this is russo and ed ferrara's vision wcw going forward i don't want no part of it it was a very bad show. Very, very bad. The show had so much going on it. My head was spinning from all the non-finishes, the nonsensical booking, and just the general bad decisions that they made throughout the entire show. My sentiments exactly. But as Dan rightly said, at least they had the inflatable pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike last year, they did actually pump it up as well. Okay, let's do this match by match then and see see where see where we end up. Uh, have mercy on our souls. So we're back at the MGM Grand, greeted by a sign in the crowd reading, "I choke my chicken to wrestling." I rather suspect we would need some further assistance based on the next two hours and forty five minutes. The tagline for this show is where our inner animals come out to play. Tony and Bobby are on the call and setting the tone for the night. Heenan struggles to say the word Goldberg. So our opening match. Disco Inferno defending the Cruiserweight title against Lash LaRue. Disco in with a clothesline and corner stomps and a DDT. A quick hip shake, but he is met with a drop kick and hip toss and a power slam. Another clothesline for a two count. We spill outside and Inferno meets the steps, but then his shoulder meets the post. He catches Disco off the buckles with a nice power slam and a rana, but Disco rolls into the ropes. Headlock powered out of, and there's our first one-two no-sir of the evening from Tony. It's like a warm embrace, that thing, I tell you. Inferno tries for last dance, but Lash kicks him off. He pays for it, though, with a big face buster. Neckbreaker by Disco scores a two. Side rush and leg sweep, and then a double axe off the ropes, but still can't hold him. Big pile driver, but Lash isn't staying down. 
Short power bomb by Lash gets a flash two, and after they both miss clotheslines, Disco in with the atomic drop and the last dance, and it's time to clear the floor. Lash attacks after the bell. Billy. Oh, okay, first off, <laughs> these men, both of them, they tried really hard. Uh, Disco was up for it, and I haven't seen Disco up for a serious match ever. He's always in a comedy role, and Lash, I haven't really seen much of him out of the side of WCW. I was impressed here. I think what really did it for me, though, was Russo, he did uh, the torch talk, didn't he, Rory? Uh, when was it? Just before this pay-per-view. Yes. Yeah, and he was talking, uh, or insisting, really, that he was going to make the Cruiserweight division great again. He was, he was going to be presenting matches uh, on the level of Ray and Psychosis and Hoovy and Kidman, etc. And if you're going to say that, then why give us Lash LaRue and Disco Inferno? Because these two are just not going to be able to live up to that hype. And unfortunately, it just it, this match just didn't live up to those lofty expectations. And it's a bit of a disappointment. But like I said, both men tried really hard. And they gave it their all, but I just couldn't get into it from the simple fact that Russo's saying that he's going to make the Cruiserweight division great again, and it's just not going to happen with these two guys, unfortunately. What do you think, Dan? Uh, I, I think it, I think it could, it could be great again with with, with these these guys, but um, I think yeah, I think we've probably been um, a bit sort of treat. Um, I don't know what, what the word would be, but treated very well in terms of Cruiserweights for the past sort of two, three years in terms of what oh, our yeah. expectations are. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, maybe maybe we need to dial that back for a little bit until until we're used to this sort of different style. Um, Kidman and those guys are probably sort of tied up with their sort of feud at the moment, like in the Filthy Animals, so we probably won't, possibly won't see them in that kind of Cruiserweight sort of division at the moment. But um, people like Evan Courageous and Hoovy are there, so bring them in. Um, but yeah, not not a bad match, not a bad match at all, really. Just a little bit annoying with the um, with Lash getting his heat back at the end for seemingly no real reason, apart from just to keep him strong, I guess. I don't know. But um, yeah, not a bad opener, but not yeah, not the usual fireworks we're used to from Cruiserweights, I guess. Yeah, it was fine, and that's kind of the problem where you're just giving people stuff to do and maybe although you'd probably say otherwise not really thinking too hard about it when you've got cruiserweights on your card who are tied up elsewhere and you still have a cruiserweight title meaning you're having to open with something like disco versus lasheru it does make you scratch your head on the other side don't want to be hypocritical about this we've said for years on these programs but the cruiserweight guys as we call them uh, only ever have their ceiling as if they're not permitted to get involved in upper main event storylines or anything like that so on the other side of the coin that is something i accept but from a pure match perspective which on pay-per-view should be the prime mover you're left with this which is sort of bog standard pro stuff really nothing especially wrong with it but nothing to really write home about just a couple of notes on the guys involved i mean lash larue interesting looking fellow he comes across to me as the guy who hangs around with the guy who hangs around with the guy who hangs around with the school school bully he's that sort of bloke you know (laughs) he's the sort of guy who begins every sentence with our mate i tell you what 
<laughs> always just has a cheese and ha- has a cheese and ham bap in his hand, you know, just that sort of person. The disco, I've always liked disco really because he's 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 of course because well, I've almost liked him as a sort of a sop for him being somebody who isn't really worth hating. He's he he, he knows his role. He's been doing this for four years now. People say he's stuck in a 1979 time warp. His character might be. But the whole Disco Inferno idea is stuck in a 1995 time warp. You know, he's probably still debating role with it versus Country House at this very day. You know, as we move into the new millennium. He hasn't moved on in those four years. They tried. They had the situation where they put him in the NWO. Wise to realise that wasn't he wasn't a good idea. I think he's going to be doing this for life. And if he's happy, then so am I, damn it. From earlier today, we see Malenko tell Saturn to take the revolution and shove it up your ass. Remember that. Harlem Heat promo in which the filthy, ugg-sucking animals are going to get it. And now here comes the three-team match held under street fight rules. This is due to the filthy animals being stripped of the titles due to an injury to Ray, but they get to go for them anyway. Today, they are represented by Conan and Kidman. Also in this match, the aforementioned Heat and the First Family. Two refs for this one and the family are armed and dangerous. Everybody goes after everybody. No word of a lie. As soon as this match started, our cats started fighting. I guess you could say it's where their inner Conan came out to play. Indeed, they were getting bowdy, bowdy, and fuck it, I'm going to say it, meowdy, meowdy. Oh, wow. On any <laughs> other show, you could hurl a probrium at me for that one, but come on, I am the better man with what's on this one. Okay, that's fucking terrible. Oh, As with the junkyard last <laughs> You sure you want to come back? As with the junkyard battle royal, I am not going to venture play by play for this one. So let's get straight to the finish, which comes after just five minutes. Uh, in which backstage Stevie buries knobs with a mummy, not a yeti, and Booker gets the pin. Something else actually went on in the ring that also led to a pinfall by Kidman on Morris, but the ref's first decision counts. Uh, they actually screwed up there. Both pinfalls were supposed to take place at the same time, but perhaps unsurprisingly, the people in the ring had no idea what was going on backstage. See what we say about pre-planning, that sort of thing. Dan? Well, yeah, well, on that sort of missed time, what, do you think, what would have happened if they had got it correct? Would the decision be that is still vacant or well i think i mean who fucking knows um the harlem heat were gonna win at we're gonna win anyway although they dropped the belts back to the animals the next day on nitro so it's been a bit of a yo-yo sort of bounce bounce with this with the tag belts but um the 50 animals won it on monday then he win it again here then as you say they lose a they lose the titles back again and yeah, why, why, why strip the filthy animals? Yes, I know that. They, I guess it was because Ray was injured, so that's why they did it. But just to sort of enforce like a free bird type rule, then keep them, keep the belts on them. So at least they look like they've lost the belts rather than just this sort of vacation for the sake of giving the belts to someone else again. And the finish, you know, the finish we did get. Yeah, but rest of the match sort of, yep. Yeah, Fine for yeah a six-person street fight, which is just going to be here, there, and everywhere. So yeah, totally understand why we don't want to do a play-by-play on that because how could you? Um, but yeah, decent start. A bit short though for a street fight, but just to five minutes, maybe sort of yeah break it out a bit longer, especially uh, with the um, first family sort of and sort of Brian Nobbs's history with those type of matches. You'd have thought yeah maybe stretch it out a bit a bit longer. But, yeah, I think my main concern was just why the tag belt's jumping around so often for seemingly no real reason. What have we got, Billy? 
God, this match was hard to follow. <laughs> it fucking was. <laughs> you know, I, I, I enjoy a good walking brawl every now and again, but I didn't really enjoy this one whatsoever. Um, I can understand, understand that, obviously, the whole finish was messed up and whatnot. You know, these things happen in wrestling. It, it tends to happen every now and again. And, unfortunately, it happened here. And... But why are you taking bumps onto styrofoam coffins when you can see them falling apart? <laughs> what, what, why the fuck? I, why the fuck is Ron Reese being used as an illegal weapon? Mm-hmm. I see I, what I, you did there. Yeah, see? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, was, I thought I was clever. <laughs> but no, this, this was a mess and really, I, I can't understand it, you know. Stevie Ray and Booker T, this was a big crowding moment for them because they're becoming 10-time WCW World Tag Team Champions. Now, if I'm right, no other team have ever achieved that, right? I believe so. So why are you doing this match then? Mm-hmm. Oh, I I'm getting angry again. I need to calm down. It's okay, Billy. We're almost done. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, we're not, we're not, but oh. <laughs> we're going to see the end of Billy Johnson before our very eyes here. I'm <laughs> melting. Thought, I, that was, I think, you were unbreakable, my man. Uh, I'm definitely breakable when it comes to this shit. As breakable <laughs> as a styrofoam mummy. Yeah, this, match, this, 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 this was freaking terrible. My pun was better than this match. Yes, it was. Nobody argue. Let's move on. <laughs> Ric Flair comes to the arena with an inanimate object, and he is also carrying a crowbar. Sorry, David. <laughs> the easy ones are the best, you know. The easy ones are easy for a reason, you know. Long I should say, guys. said cat has just joined me in the studio right here. Did you like that? Did you like that pun of mine, Bobby? No, I didn't think so. Anyway, DDP and Kimberly are here. Fourteen times is the number of times he took your hand and smacked it on my butt. Is he and seven for each hand? For DDP, though, that's just a warm-up. Paige tells the crowd he can't suck because he's not from Las Vegas, and Davy Boy has Nature Boy feel his shoes. And as he likes the spanking so much, how about a strap match later? I'll spare you, dear listener, all the wanking metaphors we then get. But if it, interview with Eddie, today notices how familiar his watch looks. Uh, okay, but we, we, could, we could turn things around here. Perry Saturn versus Eddie Guerrero. Let's see if we do. Very fast start of which Eddie gets the better, and as ever, we exit the ring in the first minute and somebody gets sent into the guardrail. Oh, fuck's sake, every time. And then the other somebody eats the steel steps. Back in, Eddie goes for a runner, but a massive powerbomb and bridging pin by Saturn for two, and then a very nice springboard clothesline for the same result. Overhand knuckle lock followed by what I think we can call small joint manipulation. This one is slowed dramatically, and it's not helped by effectively being heel-heel. Standing switch is won by Saturn with a T-bone, but Eddie gets his feet on the ropes. It is then Eddie's turn to hold things down a bit with a top wrist lock, and then he grapevines it with his left leg. Saturn rolls out of it and powers up into the electric chair thing HBK and Bulldog were doing every match they had. Saturn gets knees off a springboard moonsault, but then Guerrero nails a brainbuster. Frog splash coming up, but Saturn evades it. Eddie drop kicks to block another springboard clothesline attempt, but he gets sent into the buckles. Eddie gets crushed in said place, and there's your fall away back body drop. Back onto the ropes again, and Saturn goes for Splash Mountain, but Eddie flips out of it, landing on his feet to drop kick him, then superplex him down. That's class. Here's Flair, though, crowbar in hand. He stomps Eddie for the DQ, then whacks him. Kidman then takes some shots, too. 
Tori gets in the ring, and you know what Rick gives her, and she seems okay with it. In a strange moment, Flair is about to leave, then comes back to take his watch from the announce table. Billy. Oh, my days. Uh, yeah, uh, this match, really enjoyed it. It was technically sound contest, but unfortunately, with these type of matches, the crowd got bored, and uh, within five minutes, they were charting boring, which is a real shame because these two tried really hard early on, and the crowd just weren't biting on it. Eventually, obviously, they picked it back up with the hot finish, the hot stretch at the end there. But um, then you went and undid all your bloody hard work by having the match end in a fucking DQ. Sorry, I should stop swearing now. <laughs> you should, but you're not going to, and nobody can blame you for that. Dan? Well, yeah, seeing the two sort of come out and match on on paper sort of like, yes Eddie Guerrero Perry Saturn yes this this could be good this could be great and and yeah for the, for the most part it, it was but I think you know, the crowd weren't into it because I think they've just been conditioned to not care about these matches I think that's part of Russo's sort of uh, plan going forward is to get people to care about the the lower end of the card or be this night low card match by any means but I think most of the crowd are mainly there for the, the final two maybe three matches and that's about it so, yeah, crowd not being there didn't help, really. And, yeah, as you say, we're on the way to something something great, but then we have to go back to to an interference and uh, a bit of a damp screw of an end. And, yeah, to put, just to put Ric Flair over, I guess, really. Falling back onto a, a big star when you had two great mm-hmm. ones there that you could have used and got something great out of. Yeah, somebody really had to go over in this match, I think, but to really mean something. Mm. But again, it's the match in it and the matches we're being increasingly conditioned to believe. It's almost indoctrination that the matches don't matter. I didn't think this match, even before the admittedly stupid finish, was all that great from these two. It got hot towards the end, last two or three minutes. The Splash Mountain spot in particular was first class. Before that, I thought the psychology was a bit wonky, and I expect better from these guys. They were switching from leg to arm with no real transition or feeling or thought between them. Maybe it's because they knew that they were just going to be out there for 10 minutes to effectively fill time before the serious serious storyline stuff. So if this was born of frustration, I understand it to a point. But I still think it could have been a bit more fun and getting there. I, I do expect better from these two, and I think they should be held up. We shouldn't, just because it's guys we like, I, I think we're very tarry on these shows sometimes, and we, we of making sure that we do criticise people, even if we do have our favourites. And I think Saturn and Guerrero need to take a little of the blame here. Uh, no, I will forgive them for anything that happened up to and including the finish. Ludicrously lame and weak DQ. Obviously, some ideas of a joke. I wonder who. then. Everybody taking shots at each other. Flair getting one in on Tory because he can. And then I am convinced he forgot to actually take the watch. Because <laughs> obviously yeah. the whole point was him getting his watch back. He legitimately forgot to do that. Uh, distracted by Tory Wilson. Uh, who <laughs> imagine who could blame him? <laughs> well, it's Ric Flair. How old is Ric Flair? What, 50 now? 50 years old? Uh, yeah, it's got to be. It's often been said, we talked about it yes. in the notes, that the over 45 group might not be too pleased with Vince Russo. In six days, he has been written with Kimberly Page and Tory Wilson. So he's, <laughs> he's got Ric Flair on side, hasn't he, if nothing else? Yeah, what a legend. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's currying favour for, for for now to then sort of down the line reduce their roles, but for now he's going to keep everyone on side. So maybe a bit of 
smart moves by Russo there just to get everyone on side first before he eventually moves with his youth plan or something along those lines. Damn, don't call Vince Russo smart. That's what he wants. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him for now, but you have to give credit where it's due, I suppose. But I think there's plenty of negativity coming our way, unfortunately. Yes, indeed. Uh, backstage, we see Goldberg punching the bloodied Sid. Sid, a heel, remember, asks, is that all you got? Here's Buff to mention the two sheriffs from up north, and then he calls them writers as well, for fuck's sake. Ah, Groan, groan, groan. He now wants to beat Jarrett up. Uh, JJ gets a pasting, and now Luger has the guitar. He goes for Jarrett after what happened on Nitro, but he hits Buff by mistake. See, it's all just a bunch of stuff. Sid doesn't want stitches, let it bleed, he says. And then Eddie conducts a phone conversation on a stirwell. And I'm watching Nitro again, I think. <sighs> Berlin versus Brad Armstrong. Oh. Well, you, well, you can't say they haven't built it. <laughs> the dedicated, I mean, dedicated time to this one over the last three Nitros. And here it's finally reached pay-per-view where it belongs. Uh, Wright still hasn't worked out this new character, and I can't blame him as he flips his way around the early going here. Armstrong with offense straight out of Clash of the Champions 2. And even I would say this is a bit early for a boring chant Las Vegas. Or maybe not. Power bomb and spinning heel kick. Arrogant cover for two and Armstrong reverses also for two. Snap suplex and a high cross body for two. Clubbing blows and he goes for the neck breaker, but Brad holds onto the ropes. He then goes for a quick cover and that's a three. The bodyguard attacks straight after the bell and Berlin gets his heat back, inverted commas. Uh, Dan, be schnell about this one, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will. Just as you were talking, I had a quick thought. With the with the um, show being in Vegas, do you, do you think there's potential that some of the crowd may be sort of free comps and that, and they've just been sold on the idea you're going to see the big stars and then these boring chances are coming because they don't know who they're seeing? Uh, given WCW's propensity for dishing out tickets for their <laughs> pay-per-views, I would say in Las Vegas, it's a bit of a given. Yeah, um, not much in the match, despite it being one of the ones with, with a decent amount of build. I was actually surprised to see Armstrong win, considering Berlin's the new character, new sort of base, albeit with someone we already know. And yeah, I'm not sure with the booking, I guess, yeah, getting the heat back kind of nullifies the match again. But um, yeah, not really much to say. Sort of four minute match. Could have been on Nitro, could have been on Thunder, could have been anywhere, really. <laughs> it's where we were, sadly. Billy? Yeah. Uh, yeah this was uh, the fourth match on a ten-match card, and it didn't really need to be here. I could have saved it for Nitro. Did, did, why give them... Okay, okay, you give him two guys that probably deserve a bit of pay-per-view, so... A match, but still, it didn't need to be here. Uh, and again, the finish was a bit puzzling because you've been sort of pushing Berlin for the last few weeks, it would seem. Obviously, the finish should be that he goes over clean. But no, I would assume that they've decided we're giving up on him already. The previous regime were all over this. And uh, unfortunately, Alex Wright's Berlin is uh, probably going to last even less time as Ludwig Borger did. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This his career is crumbling. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. This is what we can't really blame Vince Russo for, because this was building before he came on the building. You fucking build Berlin versus Brad Armstrong. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't even throw that one out randomly on edition of Prime. Is, is Prime even still going? I don't. That's that's how much attention I pay to this. Yet this this had weeks of build on Nitro, and it led to a pay per view match. And again, it's what side of you know, what side of the fight do you want to be on? Do you want to see people being given storylines and a chance to get over? Do you want to see everybody be given storyline a chance to get over? When I don't even know what this feud is about. Where did Brad Armstrong come from all of a sudden? Okay, I know he was knocking around in the West Texas Rednecks thing a couple of months ago, but here he is in his most boring gimmick of all, i.e. himself, against a character <laughs> who... Is, I think Alex Wright has already given up on the Berlin character, and I understand that. You know, Dan Welling and I talked a couple of months ago when he debuted about the dangers of this character, and I don't even think they've come close to those. He's just... Alex Wright with a bold head and a trench coat, and that's it. A bodyguard who does stuff for him and beats other people up. That's all there is to it. I suppose, in a way, it's safer than where they could have gone with the character, but uh, that doesn't make it any more interesting. And this was a waste of pay-per-view time. Flair is with Tanay. He took back his Rolex and took back his legacy. He spends the rest of the interview vacillating between the animals and DDP, and Kimberly and Tori, of course, as if we needed reminding... Uh, TV title match next. Chris Benoit versus Rick Steiner. Okay. Steiner stalls outside for a while, but then sneaks in and takes early control. Big clothesline and an overhead suplex, but Benoit is back with those chops. Mega superplex, and then he goes for the crossface, but Steiner escapes. He is, though, met with a dive by Benoit through the ropes. Chris hits the guardrail, and back in Rick gets a two. Irish rips to the corner times three, and Benoit just connects with a dropkick. Rick outside again. He regroups and throws the ref into Benoit, allowing him to hit the great equaliser. Half Boston and Crab doesn't go anywhere, nor do some rear chin locks. Benoit rolls out of a powerbomb, but then lands hard on the reversal attempt. I don't think they meant that. Quick inside cradle for a two helps them reset. Big release German suplex by Rick is followed by another one, and he allows himself a smile, but no three counts. He gets cocky, then pays with a snap DDT. The crippler is then able to rally, and it's time for those German suplexes. Three of them and a bridging pin for two. Uh, Chris goes for a back elbow, but hits the ref instead. Steiner swings and misses with a chair, but then gets punched with it. The chair is still on Rick when Benoit goes for the headbutt, and he is met with the chair only. Milenko has the chair, and he nails Benoit. He rolls the ref in, and that's your lot. Saturn looks on, and he and Milenko hug, and it was a setup, Billy. A setup, a shocking swerve. A swerve already. Oh, I, oh, I don't know what to say. Um, finish aside. Let's put that off to one side. This was actually a quality little scrap from Benoit and Rick Steiner. Was quite shocked, actually. I didn't think uh, Rick could go like that, but he seemed to be up for it. I think most of the talent actually on this show were up for it, and they were trying to impress the powers that be, Russo and Ferrara. Okay, had a bit of a dull middle, but they gave us the nearest thing to an actual strong style belt, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, you're ever seeing a WCW ring. But then they went and ruined it with that bloody swerve finish, because of course that's what you've got to do. <sighs> why WCW? Why can't you just be more creative? Why? 
Creative uh, is indeed the word, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, very much so. And okay, I get it. You got to get the TV title off of Benoit because you've probably got bigger and better plans for him. But did you really have to go about it this way? Just no, no, that's why he did it. <laughs> oh, I give up trying to make sense of this all. That's impossible. <laughs> what have we got, Dan? Yeah. Very, very good match up until the end again. I mean, I'm not trying to close. I think I'm going to have to say this, talking about WCW going forward. But, um, yeah, all good by the last 30 seconds, really. I think if you want to get Benoit off, off the uh, title and give it to Steiner, could have achieved it easily with the um, diving headbutt finish. He goes for the diving headbutt, hits the chair, knocks himself out, Steiner wins. Just show show Benoit as someone who wants to take the fight to everyone, but just made a, made an error of judgment in that in that match, and then that's how he lost the belt. But he can come back from it. Um, but yeah, again, sort of soured by by this quite blatant sort of choreographed turn. I think as soon as I saw Malenko come out, I was like, okay, this is obviously going to go one way, and that one way was exactly how it went, and kind of a shame really, because up until then, very much looking enjoyed this. Yeah, this match was good. This one didn't let me down. I've seen some rather negative reviews of it ever since the show went out last week, though. Some people seem to be suggesting that Steiner was sandbagged at Benoit at points. I didn't get that impression at all. No, I really didn't. I think when you compare it to Strong Style, Billy, I think that's pretty apt. They They were rocking it in this one. They really were. We talk about Benoit, he can work any style he wants. And Steiner gave him a match here and give them credit for that. So, yeah, very unfair criticism in my in my. Opinion, however, very fair criticism about the finish, which everybody has rightly given it. I don't want to see Dean Malenko as a heel, and I especially don't want to see Dean Malenko as a heel when he has a turn with just zero logic, no reason for him to turn on Benoit whatsoever. Now, if he was going to go and side with, if he was going to go and side with likes of Saturn and Douglas in the first place, just stay in the fucking revolution anyway. Don't walk out on them a few weeks ago. Is swerves for the sake of swerves. I hate that sort of heel turn. I really do. And it's not just Vince Russo has done it. WCW have done this thing themselves before over the last couple of years. I detest them, though. It is a lack of, yes, Billy, creativity. Build up to these things. Make them mean something. Don't just do them to people to briefly drop their jaw for two seconds and then forget about it. It is not creative. It's not big. It's not clever. Now go and sit in the corner and think about what you've done, Vince. <laughs> Almost said an hour to go in the show. Okay. Mike is backstage with the hitman. Brett has been advised not to wrestle tonight, but regardless, the fans are behind him. Uh, Luger will be excellently executed by the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I should be tired of Brett saying that sort of thing, but I'm not. So sue me. Ever the pro, Brett doesn't forget to limp down to the ring for that match. He also doesn't forget, though, to send his opponent into the guardrail and steps. OK, everybody, enough of that now. <laughs> Package begs off but gets that headbutt and some big kicks in the corner. Back outside early and there's the guardrail again. He blocks a shot from Liz and manages to see Luger coming. We brawl up the aisle for a short time until Luger takes the initiative, it says here, with torpid punches and stomps. He has just gone. Liz breaks out concerned face as Brett comes back and works on the back. Side Russian leg sweep, inverted atomic drop, clothesline, backbreaker, elbow, the whole show. But then Luger blocks the sharpshooter. They hip toss each other over and just like at Royal Rumble 94, land at exactly the same time. Nudge, nudge. Brett favours the ankle and then Luger grinds on it against the rope. He switches to a half crab and then Hart just gives up. 
that's all we got from this. Dan, did you get anything else from it? Other than anger really. and frustration yeah, and bitterness? Yeah. I, I think it I think it was sort of was was going okay considering I'm, I'm not a massive Luga fan. I don't think he sort of really offers much apart from being a stack of muscle. But and I am a I probably had I'm being a very big Bret Hart fan, so glad to see him having a match. But yeah, I thought I actually thought Luger was actually okay to to a point. But again, just the finish came out of absolute nowhere. Um, I guess they were trying, they were hinting at that Bret might have injured the re-injured the ankle or, or worse on that Rumble '94 fall, if you want to call it that. But um, I was, yeah, I was surprised he taps off that quickly. I thought there would be a bit of a struggle, get to rope break. Bit more work on the ankle, and then another, then another attempt, then, then a tap, then. So yeah, it, was, it seemed, seemed to sort of end kind of quicker than I expected. In a way, we could have got another five minutes out of Brett sort of suffering with the ankle and giving up after sort of minutes of punishment rather than just sort of one in one sort of quick incident. It seemed. Billy. Uh, it's more puzzling and confusing booking. I didn't understand why you're sending Lex over. Because over the last few weeks of TV, obviously Brett has been portrayed as a top guy. And obviously I think Russo, who has worked very closely with Brett before in the WWF, is very fond of him and is looking to re-establish him as a top guy. So... Him and Hogan can have a feud at some point because I know that match has been rumoured for ever now and it looks like that's possibly the route that they're going to be going. So why are you having him lose to Flexi Lexi? I don't get it. It's it's puzzling. I, I just don't get why you would book that finish. Why are you, Why are you then telling the story as well that Brett is the underdog going in injured and hurt and Brett was, again, tremendous selling from him. Why are you telling that story and then just having him lose? Yeah, I know, right? I, I don't get it. I, I know I'm trying to make sense of something that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but this is... Oh, it's still my head in. With this booking, Brett has to win the match here, doesn't he? He either has yes. to win somehow and then collapse injured or take an utter shooing from Luger for eight or ten minutes and have the ref stop it. Or oh, so, yeah, stoppage would stoppage would have been fine. I think stoppage would have been a, a good way to yeah. sort of keep keep Brett sort of strong. I don't know. Maybe is this is this Russo sort of again sort of trying to curry favour with the sort of WCW sort of stalwarts in? I know obviously Luger was in the there for a while, but is is this sort of Russo going? Okay, you can have this win here, whereas he knows he's got a longer term for Brett that Brett can afford to lose this because going forward. Um, Russo is going to have a bigger plan for him, maybe. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to find logic in in a Russo book. And, um, we're just we're, why are we doing this to ourselves? <laughs> we're doing God's work and everybody else's work here. I'm going to make another Royal Rumble '94 name check here. Let's have a tag team match. Let's have the same situation there. Brett hobbles his way around some way just to get him down. Goes for the sharpshooter and his knee gives out. Something something like that. That's okay. I'm yeah, right. that would have been fine. Work then, that can work now. It's all right. Without having him lose, without... I mean, Luca didn't even work the leg, from what I can remember, <laughs> when he was on offense. You know, just yeah, but... Brett favoured his ankle. Luca ground on it for a couple of seconds. Shitty half crab, and there you go. I mean, just... 
Some things never change, as I'm about to utter the words in World Championship Wrestling, what a waste of Bret Hart. (laughs) (laughs) Familiarity breeding contempt, indeed. Tanay suggests to Goldberg his actions have made Sid even more dangerous than ever before, but he gets paid to kick ass and he will remove his head from his body later. Here's Medusa, and again, she's not wearing an evening gown, or indeed much else. She is, though, though brandishing the nitro cologne. Uh, This then happens. So, gentlemen... What do you think about our new nitro cologne? Nice, shapely bottle. Beautiful blue color matches my big, beautiful blue eyes. Yes, they are beautiful. Yes. What do you think? This is a pun? Do you think I enjoy coming out here in my CBC teeny weeny bikini and modeling this? But you do what you're told. You have to. Well, you can just tell... Those two higher echelons from New York, you know, the superpowers. The powers, yeah. That I think it's just, I think it's just absolutely bullshit. Stop! Stop! Brain, you're right. You stink, man. Woo! Oh, I got it in my eyes, huh? Somebody, Wendy, somebody give, somebody give him a towel. You okay? No, Ooh. I'm not okay. Ooh. You heard what she said? She thought it is? That's what it smells like. Sticking it to those two higher echelons from New York. It's all bullshit. Then she douses Bobby Heenan in the cologne. This time he doesn't drop a what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but what the fuck are they doing? So, okay, here we are. Brace yourselves. And now we're left in the show, and it's already time for Hogan v. Sting. Very ominous. Mm. Hogan's music plays for a long time, which is good news for Eric Landstrom, but Hulk doesn't show up. So instead, Sting gets queued up, and he does make it down to the ring with the belt in hand. It's American-made time again, but still no Hulkster. Dare we dream? Eventually, though, he does turn up. Oh, here he is. Hold you. Big entrance. Hey, but where's the yellow and the red? Where's the tearing off of the shirt? Someone tell me what's going on. And then tell oh, me you got me on this one. And, and tell me why it took so long. And, and, what? What? What's the look on the face? What's this? This is, this is, this is Halloween Havoc. He has been such an integral part of this program. Oh, this, mind games with this thing. That's what he's doing. Think of the cage, think of the cage match in his head right here. He did Sting's face. Playing games with him. He said he had that. What is it? I don't know. What the hell is going on? He then confers with the stinger. We can't hear this, by the way. And then he lays down in the middle of the ring. And Sting pins him for a three count. We then immediately go to a video package for Goldberg and Sid. Because OMG, they did something that wasn't in the script. (gasps) Really, what have we just seen? No, no, really. What the fuck have we just seen? (laughs) On pay per view. For fuck's sake. 
what the hell was this utter nonsense? First off, they were obviously going for that Hulk was pissed off in real life and didn't want to do the job of whatever because everyone reads the internet all the time. Obviously, not everyone is reading the internet. Obviously, this footage went over about, and I'm going to say 95% of the audience head yet again. Yeah, again. <laughs> because I, look, this is just, it's hurting my brain thinking about this. Uh, you know, uh, there was a little boy in the front row with Hulk Hogan headband on. What the hell was he thinking during all of this? Why, why is Hulk Hogan laying down? Why is Sting pinning him just like that? What, what's going on? That kid doesn't understand what's going on. They're obviously trying to work the internet and the boys in the back. Exactly. Again, <laughs> this bloody company does this all the time. I don't understand it. How is this going to draw any money? Is anyone going to remember this in two months' time? Is anyone give a shit about this bloody finish? How is this... Oh, God, it's, it's pissed me off so much. Okay, I get it. You're trying to prove that Hulk Hogan is a bad... Well, Hulk Hogan doesn't want to do jobs. Okay, I get it, yeah? But why do it on television? Did it need to be done here? No. What is wrong with a clean finish? Why are we exposing the business? This was a huge pile of garbage. Your turn, Dan. Uh, I'm just, oh. I've got more. I've got more. Oh, God. Sorry. God, God, just, just let, let, let it out, Billy. Really. Sorry, it. Dan. Let it out. Go on. Go on. Let it out. Right. This is the worst thing WCW have ever fucking done. This is worse than Nash ending the streak. This is worse than that bull bastard beating Sting at fucking Starcade. This is worse than fucking Oz. This is worse than the No Limit Soldiers. This is the worst thing that this company has ever done. Since Ted Turner bought it in 1998. Run over. <laughs> that was so impassioned, I'm going to forgive you for thinking that Ted Turner bought WCW last year. Oh, sorry, 1998 for fuck's sake. <laughs> not, even he, not even he would have been that stupid to pick it up. For, he pick it up for Knicks last year. Oh, uh, I, I, I feel your pain and share every last vestige of it. Damn. Give him a shoulder to cry on. Go on. Rough on his uh, head. Tell him it's going to be okay. Because I'm, I'm not sure, sure I can do that. that I'm, not, I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> it's, back to, it's back to what we were talking about earlier with the Buff Bagwell stuff. And does, what what's the gain? What is the gain from this? I mean, if you didn't want Hogan, or if the story is Hogan doesn't do the, the J-O-B, so to speak, then maybe this is the time when we do have some sort of interference or kind of shenanigans. I don't know, someone attacks him backstage who can't compete, and then we have Sting come out and say, well, as Ho- if Hogan can't compete, maybe I'll just have a match with I don't know who, and then just pick one of these you young guys that Vince Russo wants us to, 
to believe in instead. That could have that could have worked. That could have been fun. But no, we get I don't know just a a bit of on air politics, which I think yeah, the ninety five percent don't know about and the five percent don't want to see. So yeah, we're just left with this confusion and then smart bit of editing I suppose by WC to cut cut away from everything and quickly bring it into our next match. I guess that's the one positive of it. We didn't we weren't left scratching our heads for too long before we were brought to the next part of the show. Well, we never get it explained. That's another as if we needed another part of this problem. That's we cannot <laughs> explain when we'll talk about this towards the end of the program, the title tournament that eventually happens. Now, Dylan makes brief, very brief reference to Hogan, but nothing else that's certainly not mentioned in the rest of this show. What I have been able to glean from this is this was a demonstration to the boys, because it's always for the fucking boys, as you say, Billy. They know that Hulk Hogan, Terry Belaya, doesn't like laying down for people. So let's have a situation where he lays down of his own accord, not even bothering to change into the red and the yellow, letting this that sting follow, take the belt, and then he's off back onto his Harley. And uh, Jimmy Hart in tow, no doubt. Because <laughs> that happens both on and off screen, if what I've heard is correct. And probably Brutus Beefcake as well. Okay, great. We all know on this program, we have very few Hulkamaniacs are members of the podcast star, apart from Dan Welling, obviously. He'll love <laughs> but um, it doesn't matter what we think in this instance. It's not. It's it's still Hulk Hogan versus Sting on pay-per-view. And yes, the last three times we've had Hogan Sting on pay-per-view, in various ways, they've managed to make a complete and utter horlicks of it. And I did not hold out hope that Hogan Sting 4 was going to be much of an improvement. But that in no way excuses this as you said, that kid there in the front row done up in the red and the yellow, you know. What is he going to think here, Billy? You know, what are his family going to think? I mean, I doubt for getting front row seats, they were in the comps that Dan talked about earlier. They probably plonked down a fair whack to get front row seats so they, their kid could see their favourite Hulk Hogan wrestle for the world title, no doubt. Right? What do they think now? What do they explain to that poor little mite? You know. He's, he's he's dumbfounded. He's probably never going to watch wrestling again. Thank That's you, a, WCW. Thank lost, you. Lost a fan. Lost a fan. Uh, again, much again. As you rightly said the Bagwell stuff. Ninety-five percent of the crowd don't know this, and the five percent don't want to be reminded of this. I'm all too aware that Hulk Hogan, Terry Blair, doesn't like losing matches. You know we spilled buckets over the last six years talking about it. I know. I don't need to be reminded on a pay-per-view. I already hate the motherfucker. You don't need to tell me. You have, He doesn't like putting people over, supposedly. We know that. We're not your target audience. Oh, it frustrates the hell out of me. Did anybody enjoy... I mean, even the boys in the back, you know, they're pros. They know what pay-per-views are all about. I doubt they were high-fiving when they saw this. I hope they weren't. Oh, oh, just what a complete and utter waste. But what will they do to try and get us back on track over the last hour? Let's find out, shall we, together. So, for the US title, it is Sid defending against Goldberg. Before the match, Bill's team of Doug Dillinger and the police and the 82nd Airborne who protect him everywhere he goes just part like the Red Sea in order to allow Hall and Nash to attack him make no attempt to stop them whatsoever. 
Uh, but for the last time, he shops at Honest John's Ring Security. We stand behind every client we protect. Oh, my God. Bill is angry, man, and throws Sid into the fucking guardrail. Rory, now angry, man. Sid is immediately rebusted, and Goldberg zeroes in on it. Sid, though, is able to fight out of it and knock down Bill with a big boot and slaps on the camel clutch. Bill powers up into the electric chair. Goldberg wails away, and Sid is out on his knees, but he's not going to quit. Standing elbow, but Sid flounders his way out of the pinfall. He is wearing the crimson mask. Tony said that just after I typed it. Roll tide, as the cool kids say. And then he gets choked <laughs> in the corner for a five count. Great camera shot of a bug-eyed Sid with the blood coating his chops. Fine work there. But even those corn-cutting punches aren't going to work at this point. He drops back to both knees and then falls to the floor as the ref stops the match due to blood loss. Actual proper blood loss. Eat that, Great American Bash 88. Sid asks, is that all you got? But Rick Steiner leads him away eventually. And Goldberg is the US champion again. Dan, that wasn't a bad way to try to get us back on track. No, not not at all, really. I mean, almost to the inverse of what I thought about Eddie and uh, Perry on on paper. Goldberg versus Sid, do I really want to watch this? Not especially. But then they sort of kind of won me over in a way. With this sort of smash mouth or brawl with with blood, and I mean not necessarily saying that blood has to be used, but I mean a good way to use it, I thought. Um, and yeah, a good way to sort of end it, as we talked about with um, package versus Brett um, ref stoppages, kind of protects both guys in a way. And this Sid looked really good, I thought. I thought better than I, I was actually presently surprised, really. Billy, if you've recovered, I've. I don't, you know, you probably haven't, but have you got, can you muster something to talk about this one? <laughs> I'm still pretty angry, but I think I can muster up just a little bit to talk about actually how good this match was. Um, mm. Both men obviously didn't do too much, but what they did do actually mattered. Uh, the crowd, who I expected to be dead from this match after what had happened in the previous match, thanks, Hulk was up for <laughs> this because these two men just beat the hell out of one another. Sid bled all over the place, which really did help the match because, my God, it made Goldberg look like a killer. Uh, but, yeah, OK, it's another non-finish. TKO stoppage because of blood. It actually made a lot of sense in this scenario. So... Well done, WCW. You're getting wrestling right. <laughs> <laughs> All is forgiven. Oh, <laughs> steady on. Steady on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Calm, calm down. Calm. Let's just settle for credit where it's due, as our yes, place this one. Certainly. And we're, I'm going to give it credit. This deserved it. This was a well booked, well structured, and well executed match. It was what it should have been just a hoss battle. Harsh battle. Just five or six minutes of them wailing away on each other until Goldberg got the better of it as he was going to do and Sid not not giving up. And the blood, as you said, Dan, helped immensely here. Really helped get over the importance of it and Sid refusing to submit. Now, because with WCW, there's always a now, even when things are good. And here it comes. They have to turn Sid face here, don't they? I mean, Sid was still a heel so. going into this match, even though he was the one beaten up backstage and bloodied, saying that he's not he's not going to quit. He's still going to participate in the match, right? Okay, fine. He does so. 
And he has blood streaming down his face and refusing to give up and the match having to be stopped. Now, shady memory, two and a half-ish years ago, I seem to recall a, wasn't particularly important match, where somebody was in a hold and he blood all over his face and he passed out so he didn't end up submitting. He became a reasonably popular person the day after. (laughs) I mean... I think it's one of those matches I probably need to talk about a bit more often so I'm able to recall more of it. It's just <laughs> stuck at the back of my head. So, <laughs> so with that being in mind, they've, they've got... So so Sid's going to be the biggest heel in the company probably going forward after this, but this was made for a face turn, surely. Yes, certainly. Yeah, I, I totally sort of agree with with those echoes. Is this sort of Russo using some of his previous experience and going, well, this has worked before, can we use it again? And if that's the case, yeah, go for it. I think I think towards the end of the match, Sid was actually getting some sort of chance and sort of yep. support towards the end. It wasn't all all the Goldberg show that it, that WWE sometimes has seemed to be. This was definitely sort of a, a occasion where Sid was winning people over. And yeah, I think going forward, we possibly could see sort of Sid in that sort of top face kind of role. And let's face it, we all want to cheer Sid, don't we? Yes. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't <laughs> want to cheer Sid? Admit it, you do, you do. Show me an on-Sid fan, I'll show you a liar. Um, <laughs> St- Sting has just come back. Okay. He didn't come here for a night off, he came for a fight. Bearing in mind, Sting is still supposedly a heel at this point, but never mind. Shades of grey, brother. So if there's anybody who wants a fight, he will be in the ring later. Uh, two matches to go. DDP versus Ric Flair in a strap match. This one was, of course, set up earlier. Tony is quick to tell us this is not a drag your opponent to all four corners match. And I breathe a huge sigh of relief at that one. Page takes a long time to attach the strap. A bit of shadow boxing to begin with. But Flair is then in with his knife edge chops and some early shots with the strap. Oh, don't send him into the guardrail. Don't send him into the guardrail. Don't send him into the guardrail. <laughs> Flair gets thrown in the crowd and now they fight up the stairs as Heenan has the nerve to call this a great pay-per-view they exchange stiff shots then Rick with a bit of choking then back to the ring after planting a smacker or two on Kimberly of course Paige ain't having that and then wails on Flair on the table for a good while to the point where our commentary team lose headset they come back with Flair in charge as he now with colour gives DDP a right shoeing the strap goes round its throat as the figure four goes on and we get two close two counts Page manages to get to the ropes and Flair only breaks when necessary. Page with some diabolical low blows, learned from the best, and now the rope is around Rick's neck. Diamond cutter and time for the cover, and it's one, two, and three. Uh, Robinson stopped on the three count, but he called for the bell anyway. Uh, we'll get to what probably ha- may or may not have happened there in a second. Um, he eats a cutter and David tries to help. Kim, though, subdues him, then tosses Paige the crowbar, and you know where it ends up. Flair does a big stretcher job whilst the younger one acts a bit. The EMTs try to take Flair to an ambulance, but the animals are waiting backstage to beat up the Flares one more time. Then they commandeer the damn thing. And the next day they bury him in the desert, but I don't want to talk about that because I will quit the show and you'll never hear from me again. So, bit of housekeeping here. Number one. Uh, Ric Flair was not supposed to blade in this match, but not like Wrestle- much like WrestleMania 8, he went ahead and did so anyway, and he got the sharp end of a lot of people's time backstage. Number two, the finish, where Robinson seemed to stop on the three count, but uh, call for the bell anyway. Bit of a mixed bag, what I've seen backstage for this one. Some say Flair was meant to put his foot on the rope, which he was very close to. Some say it was planned to be the finish, but whatever it was, it was the other C word confusing. I hope that's cleared all that up for you, everybody. <laughs> Billy. Okay, so what I think bothered me most about 
the gimmick of this match was it's a strap match. Now, obviously, they're dull and predictable, and it's dragon to the four corners, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we've seen it all before. The hill touches the corner, the babyface doesn't see him, the hill wins, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What wonderful, creative booking. But they didn't do that here. They decided to have uh, more of a walking brawl type strap match. So why have them do a strap match? That's what I don't understand. Eh, obviously, Paige and Flair, they had a good match. They both worked really hard. They seem to be, as I keep saying, up for it. <laughs> to impress the, the powers that be. And I think if you had put this match on a card with great match tops to bottom, you probably would have been saying that, yeah, it was a good match. It was average. It wasn't offensive. But as we sat through so much crap so far on this card, it actually stood out as a decent match. Um, and, you know, well, well done to, to Flair for blading after Sid had just done a massive blade job previously. <laughs> really didn't need that, Rick. He'll, he'll never learn. He'll never learn. What is wrong with the man? <laughs> All right. Okay, run over. <laughs> Until the next one. Dan. Yeah, this is this is quite good. I um I'm not a massive fan of the strat match. No, and all of us pretty much aren't it sounds. Um but I think yeah, the idea the decision to not do the four corner version of a strat match, very much a good idea. Strap it was it was good use, I guess that the, the reason for the strap match with the with the spankings is not exactly the best way to get into a strap match, but made it stand out more than just being a grudge match, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah, all good. And but um, one part I just really liked was the at, right at the end with the uh, filthy animals and the the hijacking of the ambulance. Again, getting those sort of mid card guys up to a Ric Flair level, and sort of ties in with the payback from earlier in the evening. Quite good. What happens afterwards, not so much, but um, with how they treat Flair, but there we go. But yeah, I, I thought that, that sort of made sense to me, sort of with them getting revenge and such. And yeah, actually quite good, really. But Paul was, was a strap match. This was very enjoyable, especially for a match booked no more than two hours before it actually went out. I mean, <laughs> who needs to build matches these days anyway? More on that in a second. I thought these two really went for it for the 10 minutes. Um, I'm still not sure what it really means in the long run. It's probably one of those situations where they looked at the card and realised it was lighter match. Flair wasn't really... Flair wasn't doing anything. DDP, I'm still not sure what they're really doing with him going forward, but I'm going to give him a little bit more a little bit more leeway before I really come down on them because I think he's floating a bit. He certainly has since the triad just seemed to drift away. But this was really good. Good use of the strap. Uh, my blood ran cold when I first said it was going to be a strap match, but they ditched a ludicrous opponent to four corners rule, which I hate and everybody should hate. They just went for it. Nothing particularly spectacular. Nothing we'd really... Nothing we should really... We shouldn't expect anything different from these guys. I don't think they were working 
mega hard to impress us. It was DDP and Flair having a, a strong enough hard-hitting match for 10 minutes. Sometimes, especially after what's gone on before, that's enough. And Even though if there had been more of a build, I probably would have wanted more. What we got was just about sufficient. Unrequired blade job and a fucked up finish, notwithstanding. <laughs> and yeah, I just want to make one more point on this about the filthy animals being put in a main upper main event near the main event situation. All very well and good. And I mean that all very well and good. If it means burying Ric Flair in the desert, all very unwell and very, very bad. So still want that fight, do we sting? Who will it be? Well, that'll be Goldberg then. Here we are then, Sting versus Goldberg. Just before we get to this one, gents, uh, half quiz question, half I'm not too sure of the answer. Can you guys think of any pay-per-view in any major promotion in which when the pay-per-view eventually went out, the two big matches weren't announced or known before the pay-per-view began? I can't think of any others. There's obviously been some with the final match, you know, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 9. But I can't think of any the big two matches on. Can you? Anything coming to mind? No, not um, off the top of my head. I have a quick, quick think. But no, even even sort of with the ad hoc way that ECW sometimes books. Yeah, that's I was thinking you, possibly. You usually do usually do know at least one of the two, if not if not yeah. the main one. But usually get usually do know that um one one big match or two are gonna going to be there if, if, the, if the card does change somewhat during the show but no not to have uh, the final two complete being completely unknown can't think of one it's it's all about ripping up the rule book bro <laughs> all right yeah. then. So, so we are now getting out of nowhere we are getting sting versus goldberg just throwing it out there like we did in september on sting versus goldberg sting is the world champion this match is for the world heavyweight title Except it isn't, as Tony confirms with somebody backstage. And you can, he is genuinely actually talking to somebody backstage as well. And he then, he would mutter off mic event on mic, this match is going to be non-title. Okay, non-title. Why is it non-title? Anyway, Charles Robinson is the ref again. Powers of recovery. We lock up and they seem to fuck up an Irish whip. I'll tell you what, why don't I just throw him into the guardrail instead? No, I don't mean actually do it. <sighs> Sting ducks a punch and chucks Bill in. He hits a splash off the top, but no three counts. He then hits a spear, but to no effect, as Goldberg lashes out with a sidekick. And he then hits the post on a charge, so we get three stinger splashes. But then so does a Goldberg spear. Jackhammer. One, two, three. Okay. Goldberg gets a big win over the champion in this non-title match. So Charles Robinson hands him the world title. And Dave Pounds, Dave, Dave Panzer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a bucket attack. Dave Penzer announces him as the world champion. The commentary team are baffled, and they are in the very best company right now. <laughs> I mean, the very best company of people, not the best wrestling company. <laughs> there is still time before we go off air for Sting to nail Charles Robinson, and I'm sure that won't mean anything. So Dan, we get Sting versus Goldberg out of nowhere. We think it's for the world title, as you would reasonably do. We are then told it is not for the world title. And then Goldberg wins in just three minutes after a nothing match. He gets given the belt and he's announced as the champion. Of course. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we were kind of right to sort of presume it was the for the, for the title, even though it, the match wasn't announced. 
obviously it was an impromptu match, but when they even did the sort of ring the, ring the bell, there was no sort of belt hold up or any kind of indication that it was for the title. I guess we just sort of had that in our heads that we didn't have a world title match earlier, so this one must be one. And yeah, we're go back to sort of classic Goldberg, three minutes and we're done. Not really much more more to say sort of on, on the positive. I mean, negative was, yeah, we, this could have been something that we could have built to, of course, months, weeks, months down the line to have two sort of headliners like this. And I think sort of going back to my, my earlier point, why why do we just have Sting versus some, someone from mid, mid card and that way it could be for the title, but and then we could have someone like with Benoit sort of being built up in the um, uh, our own tribute match uh, uh, early in the month, we could have had someone being built up to be not quite the world title, but getting close, like give Sting a good run for his money, but then sort of not making it at the end. And that person then sort of seen as a potential world title or at least US title contender going forward. But no, we just get a good old Goldberg smash three minutes and we're done. And then, yeah, world champion, apparently. Or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Billy, all of this. Just, just all of this. Just... <sighs> oh, WCW. <laughs> <laughs> Why WCW? Oh, dear. Okay, let's get the match review out of the way first. Actually, it wasn't that bad. It was a fun know. sprint, wasn't it, really? Let's, let's, yeah. let's try and be fair. Yeah, yeah. Let's be fair about it. It was a yeah, fun sprint. You know, Goldberg, Road through Sting. In quick succession, that worked for Goldberg before, uh, during his rise, you know, in 97, 98. So that worked for Goldberg then. Why won't it work, still work now? I know they've tried to, obviously this year, tried to give Goldberg longer matches, but it hasn't really worked, has it? Let's be fair. (laughs) So just not his game. It's not. No, it isn't. I think what works most for Goldberg is just having these quick matches and people really get into them. It it does well. Uh, But I think what bothered me the most was not the whole shenanigans with the world title. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to devalue your titles by throwing them about all over the place which it actually wasn't, but it was all a fucking mess with that. Let's just forget that this show was a fucking mess anyway, so <laughs> we'll just get rid of that. I won't worry about it. I think what bothered me more than anything was the fact that you're putting Goldberg and Sting on pay-per-view. Now, they've had a TV match before on Nitro, which was, again, it was just thrown out there, but this is a match that could Draw some money. Absolutely right. Why not save it for, I don't know, a pay-per-view in two, three months' time? So you could make some money off of it. But no, you know, this is WCW and they decided to... You know, they they don't like money. They're allergic to it, apparently. So (laughs) this is why this has happened. Uh, and then, obviously, they do the angle afterwards. I wondered why they did that with Sting attacking the referee. It actually made sense 24 hours later, but why are you doing that? I don't understand. I just want to go bang my head against the wall. 
and in a few minutes time you'll be able to do so just leave some yeah. wall left for the rest of us will you just don't knock it down okay just, i'll try not to just 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 shake the water around a bit okay we want to be something <laughs> left for the rest of us just imagine just imagine you didn't buy this pay-per-view and i wish <laughs> how envious i am of those people right now just wish you hadn't but you had heard that they then ended up main eventing with sting versus goldberg no you'd be hopping mad wouldn't you Oh, well, maybe you wouldn't be after what came before it, but you know what I mean. Uh, Sting versus Goldberg is a WCW pay-per-view match. No, no, it's an W. It's an A pay-per-view match. You know, it is Halloween Havoc, Starcade, uh, Super Brawl level. No question about it. And here it gets what 30 seconds of build actually on the pay-per-view. I mean, the fact that I mean, I don't have a whole lot of issue with only the match itself lasting only three minutes. Mine. That's 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 probably a separate issue. If these two ever have another match down the line, maybe we can look at that a bit more closely. I don't see this as Sting looking. I, I'm, I'm more of a Sting fan than a lot of people on these programs, but I don't see it as him being booked to look weak here necessarily. I'm of all the things I can't let pass that one doesn't really affect me a whole lot. I must be honest. It's the existence of the match itself that I've got an issue with. I mean, let's be honest about it. Look at Hogan's thing two years ago. That one sh- should have been only three minutes long. As I go back to our Stark A97 show for us to break down, <laughs> break down. It's always <laughs> about, break- it's about breaking down with WCW, isn't it? You know, much like that wall you're going to try and leave some of us for, Billy, if you can. Uh, the sprint was fun. Stink threw a lot into the three minutes. He's putting a lot into his matches these days. He's, he still is, even at the age of 41. Good shape. Always feels like he's got something to prove to Steve Borden, and I'm happy with that. Although he should no longer be a heel. He's just, heel run's just not taking. He isn't getting the booze. I think they are going, in as much as heels and faces that exist in Russo's mind, I think they're going to flip that with Sting again very shortly. That would be one wrong they really should fight, because that was a disastrous heel turn, and it has not taken at all. But yeah, this is how they chose to end the pay-per-view, and all the confusion over the title. In the end, it didn't matter a whole lot because they had their reasons that we'll get to in a minute. What we think of those reasons, again, we'll also discuss for you shortly. But just confusion, questions that can't be answered, and just frustration. And the one thing you should not feel at the end of a pro wrestling pay-per-view is frustration. You can be pissed off that your favourite guy doesn't win and a guy you're not supposed to like does win at the end, that's okay. But that's being dissatisfied by pro wrestling in its own world. When you, as a viewer, are left just completely beaten up, that's the issue. And without wanting to throw my hand too early, that's what I felt about this pay-per-view in general. Dan, if at all possible, sum up sum up the whole thing. It's two hours, 45 minutes. And give your inaugural score rating out of 10. Well, it was exactly that. It was it was a confusing one. I usually try to think of a pay-per-view as the end of a chapter, almost. Like, and you want to end on a punctuation mark. Full stop is fine. Exclamation mark is probably better. Like a, even a, a wow or a, a wow my favorite guy won or oh my god I can't believe he won type thing. But I think we were just left with a big bunch of question marks, and that really doesn't help. I don't think. Luckily, I think. So uh, we get some answers the, the night after, but at that time, I was just left thinking, okay, and what do we do now, type thing. Um, in terms of how to rate it, I usually sort of go back and think of these matches that we, we had, which ones would I want to watch again? Mm, probably none, if I'm being honest. Yes, there, there were some good good matches, but the finishes seemed to sort of just detract from each each and every one of them. 
So in terms of a, an out of ten, I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle to say higher than three or four to be honest, because yes, there were some good parts in it, but they were all almost all undone quite quickly. One highlight, I suppose, Goldberg Sid, that was that was quite good, but yeah, I just I'm glad I'm glad I don't have to watch it again if I'm being honest. <laughs> you don't have to watch it again. Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't be that cruel. Uh, do we have a, a final score? No offense uh, to these programs. Yeah, let's 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 go. For, let's go, I'll go. I was gonna say three or four, but I'll, I'll go four. I'll get one extra point for that for the Goldberg Sid. You're currently averaging four out of ten for pay-per-view reviews. I will be keeping score on that as we go along on your shows. <laughs> Billy, what we got? Okay, right. I'm not as angry now. I've calmed down. I'm good. I'm good to go. Apart from, let's say, one match on this show, or maybe two, this was a giant turd of a show. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend no wrestling fan ever, ever watched this show. It was that bad. And it wasn't the good kind of bad as well, like Chris Lacey has said before. Or like Halloween Havoc 95, where it was so bad, you just laughed your ass off. That's a good example, yeah. Yeah, he's just head-scratching, puzzling. Oh, so confusing. Made me so angry. I would definitely recommend, like I said, no one ever watched this. And I think that's why I'm going to give it a 1 out of 10. Wow. 1? Oh, yeah. wow. I really hated it that much. 1? Um, 1? <laughs> that is, off the top of my head, the third lowest rating anybody has given to any show. I'm sorry, WCW. <laughs> you get a 1 from me. 1. Okay, wow. This is... I would like to say about this, Yakov, I think I've got my thoughts together, I think. I'd like to say about this pay-per-view that all the faults, each and every one of the 10 zillion faults this pay-per-view, were to do with the powers that be, mm-hmm. as opposed to the guys in the ring. Don't think for one second I'm letting those two yahoos off the hook. This is <laughs> this is their doing. Okay, and you can do that. Everybody can see this is their doing in every way, shape, and form. However, and I think this probably contributes to my mark, there were a lot of disappointing performances in the ring. Right? Some of the guys were given time to have fairly okay matches. Okay, You can't do much with something like Berlin versus Brad Armstrong. I accept that. But Perry versus Eddie Guerrero, no, that, that, that should be better. You know what I mean? Something like Brett Luger, yes, hampered by the booking, but nothing to actually grab onto even in the match other than Brett selling. I'm just going up or down the card as I look. Even DDP Flair, I enjoyed it in the moment, but it was rather by rote, by the numbers stuff. I didn't feel that anybody was really here trying to stand up and make a name for themselves especially if morale is supposedly as high as it is backstage right now. I'm not sure how true that really is, but those are the reports we're getting. That wasn't reflected on screen for me. And before you get to the mind-melting, heart-ripping, life-shredding booking, 
that we had to endure for so much of this. It makes for a very ungodly combination indeed. So this is a pay-per-view to keep the Halloween theme going. You can indeed, Berry. I am going to give it a one and a half generous man that I am. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I really, really am sort of the, the, looking on the positives here. With, you with are my... going to be the, the shining beacon going forward on these programs, I think, Dan. <laughs> lift, lift that average up for everyone. With you giving it four, I don't think this one's our worst average-wise pay-per-view of the year, but we'll see. One that really counts in two months' time. We'll see what the boys say when they nominate for worst show of the year. But yeah, please do not go anywhere near this particular rancid, fetid, fucked corpse of a pay-per-view. One and a half out of ten. And of course, with the big fella in charge, we're only just getting started. After a makeup free sting demands answers from JJ Dillon and gets them in the form of a title being stripped of him and a tournament started up, more detail soon, the outsiders turn up and are told they have to wrestle tonight because it's on the sheet. Hall, we don't have gear, but we have something that rhymes with gear. No deer for a month. So, our first tournament match pits Bam Bam versus Norman Smiley. Bigelow turns it into a hardcore match, and despite the supposed restrictions of the tournament, that is permitted. It's the usual comedy low jinx, and remember, this is supposed to be for the world title. Norman wins with the big bin sting headbutt. We switch instantly back to the outsiders. The powers that be have, in a ratings ploy, say for today, been forced to wrestle. Nash actually says the words, I can't work. Ah, to hell with context. Filthy animals are here, and they're going to show us what happened to Flair last night. And you know, just nothing, your usual 1981 mid-Atlantic stuff. Buried him in the desert. They gloat for a while when the revolution attack. Aren't they supposed to be heels too? As Tori backs off, she gets kidnapped by Douglas and Asia. Hennig won't quit just because powers to be tell him to. Hall and Nash talk about the three second delay. Hennig will be fired to, if he loses to Lash in a non-tournament match. He kicks the ref to get DQ'd, but apparently that is okay. As is bashing Lash and Disco with a chair afterwards. The animals look for revenge and a hobbling Brett appears at the venue and Goldberg does up his boots and we continue the Nitro Girl search. Danielle and Lauren are today's entrance, but here comes Jarrett, who didn't leave his gimmick up north, it appears. The tournament is all a big work. Oh, shut up. He will be the champion, though, as he is the chosen one. Sid will get revenge on Goldberg when he least expects it. Tournament time now, Saturn v Eddie. David wheels the crowbar and hits Eddie with it to zero reaction. Saturn locks on the rings for the win. The revolution of Lock Tory somewhere. Milenko heads off for a leak and the camera follows and lo and behold, there is Benoit to beat whatever was inside of him, out of him. It is the Outsiders at the top of the hour. Same as it ever was, same as it ever was. They're popular in Nash's hometown, though. Nobody tells the Outsiders what to do. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Or maybe not, as Goldberg is here. They had better have eyes in the back of their head, as tonight they are both next. And now we hear from Macho and George. Savage tells Vince Russo he won't hang himself on live TV, <laughs> and you know that was probably an idea, and he ain't no punk bitch. The winner of this tournament will go on to ascend even greater heights, Savage will pass them the torch. The animals get to where Tori was locked up, but the door is now open and she is not there. She is elsewhere, with the revolution, where Dean is hot and wants to get back at Benoit. <sighs> oh tournament match, Medusa, yep, versus a mystery opponent, who turns out to be Meng. She goes for it but doesn't get very far. Tongan Death Grip ends this little experiment. Evan Courageous offers to help her. Okay. But then Milenko is out with a mic. 
just let things breathe for a millisecond, will you, man? He challenges Benoit for a last man standing match tonight. Conflat between Hennig and Brad Armstrong, apparently the latter needs a personality and has been told to call his little brother. Okay, I laughed at the call bit there. Package versus Steiner in the tourney. Straight from the bell, here comes Jarrett. He wants a public apology from Luger. This is WCW, why would I hit a woman? <laughs> Tony then tramples all over the joke by saying this isn't the WWF. He swings for the fences and hits Steiner. Rick goes after JJ and then Luger nips into the ring for the COR win. More filthy animals, the revolution's careers will be over if they harm Tori and Buff arrives looking happy with himself. Kip and Kona next in the tournament, the Heat are out to stop this one going far until Kidman rolls over to get a pin for win. After Eddie calms them down, Conan wants a tag title match tonight. Here's Buff, and this is an actual quote. I'm not doing a J-O-B job for anybody ever again. I'm not laying down for anybody ever again, especially for two idiots in the back writing this crap. Two men in suits, covering up all your tattoos, eh, Harris Brothers, emerge to beat him up. Benoit and Malenko in a last man standing match, getting an epic 7 minutes and ending when the Crippler gets up fractionally before the 10 count after a double clothesline. Benoit then lets the animals destroy Malenko but now Tori is being shown off and will be taken out by Asia if they do not desist. But they give chase. The Revolution escape with Tori in a car. Ray and Eddie head on after them. Tournament match, Sting v Nobs, two belt shots end this one. So Kipman and Conan go for the titles v the Heat and the animals win them back when Kidman rolls the shoulder on a suplex. Another first round match, DDP v David Flair. He has come prepared with the crowbar. Kim protects her man, and that's the match. So, who are the outsiders against? Why, oh, a few young ladies, of course. They do a spot where Hall and her... You get the picture. Even here, we get the outsiders being told to lay down for the three, and then Goldberg breaks up the fun. Tournament match to finish, Goldberg versus Bret Hart, for the first time, on free TV and it's in the first round, and it's for the US title too. Because why the hell not, eh? Story here, because there has to be one, is Goldberg is reluctant to fight the injured hitman who has a hairline fracture of the leg. The ref gets bumped and now the outsiders attack Bill, as does Sid, so much for that face turn. Powerbomb to Goldberg and then Brett can roll in to win the match and the US title and my heart for bringing this show to a close. This message is for JJ Dillon! JJ! I'm hearing a lot of talk in the dressing room area that I don't like. And you shouldn't like either. JJ! Last night, I wrestled. I came out for a fight. That's all I came out for. JJ, plainly put, I want to talk to you right now in this ring and don't make me come after you. A very serious look and a very serious tenor to that voice. And James J. Dillon is just now making his way here. There's a lot of tension in WCW right now. There's been tension all day and it is literally bursting in front of us here in the ring here in Phoenix tonight. What could this be? What's it all about? It's more exciting every week, don't it, Tony? Yes, it does, Brain. (laughs) 
Last night, I wrestled Goldberg in Las Vegas. Last night, I was trying to bail WCW out of a lousy situation because I came to defend the world title against Hulk Hogan. So in bailing this company out of a bad situation, I said that I was in for a fight. I came to Vegas for a fight. I asked for a fight. I got a fight. But there's one catch, JJ. I never, never said anything about the world title being up for grabs. So, JJ, I want my world title back right now. Sting, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Goldberg won the match last night. It was not a sanctioned match, so you're correct. Goldberg is not the WCW World of Weight Champion. But neither are you. What are you trying to say, JJ? What I'm trying to say is that you've been stripped of the title. Last night you brutally attacked a WCW official, and the powers of, to be have determined that you should no longer be the champion. And furthermore, we're starting a 32-man tournament right here tonight to determine who should be the new champion. But you know, these guys, I think maybe you got them all wrong because they decided to throw you a bone and to give you a spot in the tournament. Hey, I, I, I'm only the messenger. Well, JJ, if you're the messenger, you, you wouldn't mind giving them this message from me, all right? No. Unprovoked oh. in the midsection of James J. Dillon, Sting is irate. Sting is not the champion. Goldberg is not the champion as it stands right now. And Sting's not done. Have you ever seen Sting act like this, Brain? No, I've never seen him put his hands on anybody but another wrestler. He's lost it right now. Now the Scorpion Deadlock, one of the most crippling maneuvers in WCW. And JJ's not in shape to no. take a move like that. He could break the man's back. Goldberg is here. Goldberg has come out. Over the top. And he puts Sting right on his rear end. Look at this fight. One more thing to talk about before we wrap up, because I can only face one. You know, I, you have heard my TV report there for the 25th of October. Worse than the 18th and worse than Halloween Havoc. Just think about that. But there is something we can pull from it for you. And that is the fact we are getting ourselves a tournament for the world title. Yes, a tournament. That's a bit pro wrestling, isn't it, Vince? Yeah. People wrestling to win the biggest belt. Yes, a 32-man tournament, which began on Nitro. 
the reason given for the title being held up was Sting came out, you know, in street clothes. Not with his face paint, because we're going off script again, brother. Demanding some answers, J.J. Dillon comes out and strips him of the title. Now, what did he strip him of the title for? Well, you might think it was the fact that he ended up... No, I'm not, no, no, fuck it. Why was he stripped of the title? Because he attacked a referee. Ah, yes, attacked a referee, Charles Robinson, after the match, which everybody does, and after the match, which was non-title anyway. That is the best they could come up with. Our creative genius, Vince Russo. That was the reason for stripping the belt of Sting, attacking a referee. Now, this is a man who has booked people to do that for the last two and a half years and made quite a bit of money out of it with a certain somebody in particular. And here we are. It's now a reason we dropped the title. Anyway, we are getting ourselves a tournament for the world title. 32 people entering. We've had some disasters already on that Nitro. We've had... Norman Smiley sneaking his way through without hitting an offensive move. We had Medusa in the tournament for some reason against a mystery opponent for some other reason who turned out to be Meng, who destroyed her for some other reason. We had Bret Hart versus Goldberg thrown out for free on TV in a four-minute match, which is also for the US title, because why the fuck not, with Bret sneaking his way through again, looking like a pudding. So, Billy, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this tournament goes. Oh, Jesus. It's like tournaments. Okay, in wrestling. We like tournaments, don't we? Yes, we like tournaments. If you book them correctly, which is you give everyone at least 15-minute matches, good matches, then people will care about said tournament. They are not going to care if you do a Ming versus fucking Medusa match, which was all comedy. Why are you turning your World Heavyweight title tournament into comedy? This is supposed to be a prestigious title. But no, we're going to turn it all into comedy, ha-ha, and bullshit. You've wasted another opportunity here, Vince Russo. You could have written all the wrongs that you had done the previous night with giving us some really good, solid matches. But no, you want to do this uh, with Norman Smiley as well. Where has he been? Why is he in a World Heavyweight title tournament? Where, where has he been on the card? He's been in low-end matches on the card. He's not even a mid-carder. Half of the people that are in this tournament are laughable. I, I just, I don't get it. What is the point in doing a tournament if they're going to turn it all into comedy? Dan, they are in serious danger of devaluing their world <laughs> title. Now, WCW themselves, no, they are not blameless in this. They've hot potatoed their world title a lot in the past. True. I'm not going to suggest this is a new thing. Uh, we could be witnessing uh, its burial if this carries on much longer. Yes and yes and no. I think luckily there are enough people in the tournament who will sort of shine through. I hope so. I and hope so. So maybe maybe we should have been a, stuck with it. We should have been given a 16 man tournament rather than a 32. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think there's, there's certainly 10, maybe even got 16 sort of credible contenders if you sort of take people from that sort of mid card area like with. Uh, Rick Steiner, Benoit, and people like that. You could you could say that yes, there would be a shock if they were world champion, but they're still legitimate, sort of decent wrestlers, and they could they could potentially win it. And this is the 
the sort of the the way that they can win it by winning a tournament like this. But yeah, 32 unnecessary, some daft matches in there. But this is something I'm sort of potentially looking forward to seeing over the next months because looking back, WWF had I think three, maybe four tournaments last year. So Russo has got form with booking tournaments, and I and if you think what King of the Ring, yeah. Not too bad with Shamrock winning. Uh, Shamrock then won the IC title tournament later in the year. And then with Deadly Games itself, I think, yeah, Rooster's kind of got a bit of a record with tournaments and not necessarily a bad one. So maybe, maybe this is the thing that sort of gets people more interested in, in WCW and they, and they tip through. But yeah, not a great start though with this comedy sort of odd booking of, ran, of sort of random people in this first round. But um, but yeah, I think I think as we as the tournament progresses, there's the potential to get better and get get more of an interest and sort of more intrigue around it. So yeah, I'm sort of pulling that positivity sort of forward into into next month maybe. And um, yeah, looking forward to see how it goes. Just need to get these first round matches with yeah the the comedy out of the way, I guess. Survivor Series 98 is Vince Russo's high watermark. True. Uh, it was my pay, my and everybody's pay-per-view of the year last year, and quite rightly so. And he deserves a whole boatload of credit for that, for him and the other guys who he had making sure he stayed within his lane. Mm. That was a great tournament. They managed to do it all in one day, all in one pay-per-view. Now, how much comedy was there in that tournament? Uh, announcing Dwayne Gill as Mankind's opponent. And that was it. Everything else... Yeah. And I guess the, the, the boss man sort of three second was well, that, well, that, 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 in the end that played into the story. Well, yes. That was very clever stuff, which I, I, I fear a touch that has deserted him in the last year or so. I hope mm-hmm. to be proved wrong. But here you're doing a 32 man tournament. You're playing out on Nitro. Got a lot of TV time to fill. No matches like Norman Smiley, Bam Bam, Meng versus Medusa. They're not going to do it. I want to believe that everybody in this tournament should be the world champion. Yes. And by and large, when we did Deadly Games last year, they we have, you had people like Al Snow and Jeff Jarrett in there. But of course, you <laughs> surprised you didn't win it, actually, now we think about it. But um, Vince Russo actually said in the Torch Talk interview, that's still the one day of booking he's most proud of, and so he should be. So I hope, it's not been a very good sign, so I hope that magic touch is still just about with him and he knows where he's hiding it and can pull it out. Apparently, the final is going to be held at the pay-per-view next month. Which is going to be called Mayhem. No World War Three this time. I wouldn't even want to think about him booking a 60-man battle royal. Thankful for small mercies and all that. Yeah. And rumoured, we'll yes. see if we get the rumoured the final is going to be between Brett and Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. And based on what we got earlier, I will take that. Yes, certainly. Hands out of and isn't Mayhem in Canada? So that sort of almost plays into his hands in a way. I believe it is, yes. Yeah, so... That the the rumor talk around a Benoit Hart final definitely sort of works works for everyone really in that respect. Indeed. So let's uh, Billy Brett Benoit was the final. Will that help turn it around? <laughs> how we get there, of course. <laughs> exactly. It depends on how they really get there. If it's all going to be comedy and ha ha, even with you know established main of uh, established main event guys and uh, strong mid card baby faces and heels, then then, no, it's not going to mean anything. Whoever wins the belt in Canada, for me personally, I hope that Russo sees 
the mistakes he made in the first week and thinks, hold on a minute, this is too much comedy. We don't need to do this. Let's give the fans a legitimate wrestling tournament to to make this title feel important because it's lost its importance and it's lost its way so far and you don't want your titles to be devalued. There's a phrase, I've just written this phrase that we said it a lot over the last two hours or so, and it's variations on this one, not going to mean anything. Those mm. are the four words mm. Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara need to bear in mind, especially with the World Heavyweight title tournament at stake. We've, I don't think we've outright buried them over the last hour and a half, as tempting as it would have been. <laughs> but um, I think we're trying to give them a little bit of leeway. They are coming in afresh. They don't really have a whole lot of assistance, whether they want it or not is another matter, but they don't really have it. They've got a lot of people on the roster to deal with. But we're getting a lot of the worst elements of Vince Russo booking. Shitty comedy, work shoots, look how clever we are stuff, and none of the tight week-to-week storyline, which he excelled in. Let's look at all the best WWF stuff over the last two and a half years. Mm. It would be foolish to say that he did not play a major, major role in that. So he is capable. You know, It's real Jekyll and Hyde stuff with this guy, and I hope we get one rather than the other. And he starts very, very soon. Lay off the cough syrup. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Out of the torture ch- uh, time machine. I've done that twice now. And uh, we're back to 2019. Daniel Dwitt, thank you so much for your contribution of mine. You were in at the deepest of deep ends. <laughs> you didn't didn't yeah. even need water wings, my friend. Well done. Thank you so thank much. You. Well, no, th- well, thank you for saying so. And again, sort of thank you for bringing me on board. I, say I will try to keep positive as much as I can. And I, <laughs> I honestly do think there is something to be, something to look forward to. This, this tournament can potentially be something that, that we so we can use to get back to where maybe not where they were but certainly on that upward trajectory it's just yeah the as we talked about the how we get there might not be the greatest way and hopefully hmm yeah hopefully it's not all of the Jekyll and Hyde booking of Russo and he, there is some investment in that mid card that makes the tournament and everything around it and the card itself just generally a bit better really because that the wrestlers are there they just need someone with that direction and hopefully Vince Russo can provide that whether he does or not we will see and where can people find you there? Um, I am on Twitter at DSD247 and that's that's all the place you'll find me to be honest for now Billy, you live to tell the tale. It was I'm, it was touch and go there for a while. It was for a little while. I think I was going to have a culinary at one point. <laughs> I've survived. I've survived. Um, I love Dan's positivity. You know, I was once a positive young man. And we grounded out of you over the last two years. Yes, you <laughs> certainly have. Uh, you. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on the show. It was Pleasure. actually a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed myself, um, even if it was talking about that shite pay-per-view. But <laughs> you can find me on the Twitter if you really want to. It's uh, Billy J underscore 83, or have I got that wrong? Or is it Billy underscore J 83? <laughs> I can never remember. 
you're finished, Billy. It's 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 beaten you. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah, I'm done for, lads. I'm done for. I guess Billy J83 or one word, I believe, is your Twitter handle. Is it really? I thought there was an underscore in there. <laughs> I'm going to look this up now. Fuck it. <laughs> This is great radio, this, isn't it? This is great radio, just to find out what is my Twitter handle. Anyway, if you want me, if you want me uh, to follow me, uh, I talk about lots of shit on there. Um, I can't think of what shit I talk about a lot of. Uh, oh, yeah, wrestling. That's Billy, oh, no, sorry, sorry, I apologise. Billy underscore J83. There we go. There you go. I knew there was an underscore in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Always an underscore. Yeah. Uh, so everybody just contact, contact Billy underscore J83 to pay him <laughs> the tributes he deserves for somehow getting through this one. I was going to say unscathed, but we all know that's not true. <laughs> no, no, these scars will be here forever. <laughs> they're going to be added to soon, I tell you. Uh, my name is Rory McNamara. It is always a pleasure, always a pleasure to bring all of this stuff to you each and every month on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Uh, you can indeed find us on Twitter and Facebook. And very special show coming up. We'll be recording this in about four weeks' time from when we recorded this show. Got a very special mailbag episode, Q&A, call it what you will, where you Ooh. can ask us anything at all, primarily about pro wrestling, but you, you, know, you know what these things can slip through. I'll be betting them anyway. Primarily about pro wrestling, we're going to have a good few members of the team on there to answer your questions. It can be anything. It can be anything we specifically talked about on the show. It could be uh, how we do the show, things you want to know, the inner machinations. It could be about the current product. Anything you want to know, are some of our favourite matches, least favourite commentators, anything. Just any question, nothing off limits. We will answer each and every one on the show. Special non-timeline edition. Putting that out for the Christmas season. We'll be recording it probably around about the 7th or 8th of December. So watch out for that one. More information on Twitter and Facebook. But drop us a question on there. We'll add them to the list and we will get them answered. Uh, All the rest of the shows for October 99. Two for WWF. One for Rebellion and one for No Mercy. Got our ECW show. And we have a very special watch along, which we'll be dropping in a couple of days. Uh, what is it with me and stellar pay-per-views in October 99? <laughs> where Chris Lacey and I live watch out of timeline uh, Heroes of Wrestling. Enough said. <laughs> Please watch along with us if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to that one. And I saw all our suffering was not in vain. But uh, from Daniel Dewitt, from Billy underscore Johnson, I have been. <laughs> We're into the Vince Russo WCW era. <laughs> I nearly said enough. I'm going to say it. into the WCW era pun intended, where nothing is quite as it seems. So until next time, hello.